This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Happy New Year, listeners of Keeping Carlson. It's great to chat with you. This was a week we were supposed to take off, but... We had this great idea where in lieu of a regular episode this week, we and our patrons thought it'd be nice to share our December patron cast with you. Patron casts are live episodes usually reserved just for patrons where they can ask us anything and we'll answer it live, but we're going to put this one out there for all to listen uh, and it'll hopefully tide you over until we come back with our next regular episode on this coming Sunday, January 8th. We may also have a bonus episode in the coming days, which you'll hear about in the patron cast. Keep in mind, by the way, that this patron cast was recorded on December 28th, 2016. So some stuff, including the year, has changed since then, like Halak has been waived. Uh, however, Elon and I still have yet to watch slash rewatch Die Hard. Okay, Happy New Year, everyone. Let's get to the show. For the December 2016 Patron Cast, Patron Cast 26. Brian, can you believe we've done 26 of these? Is there anyone in the chat room who's been to all 26 or who could remember Patron Cast number one? It's 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 been a wild ride. We've got a oh wait a minute, I should probably introduce myself. Elon, Brian's here. Hey everybody, I remember our first Patron Cast. It was very nerve-wracking. It's like who wants to spend some time in like a Google Hangout video chat with us? And I remember we had like everyone's video running at the same time it was like a round table a loose round table discussion which we sort of we sort of keep that flow this is like it's not a normal episode if it's your first patron cast it's a little more casual a little more relaxed a little slower to get to the answers a little more back and forth brian's just making all of his excuses for why (laughs) he won't have as good answers as normal or why it'll take him longer to come up with them but anyway we've got a big slate of questions ready for you guys we posted on the facebook group asking the patrons to submit questions we've got a great list and it's still a live list so i'm going to post the link right here in the chat and you can definitely uh go and add to this list and we'll just keep going through this is actually going to be our last episode i guess if you could call it an episode for a little while because we're taking next week off so uh maybe we could also talk about if you have any questions about like ads and drops for this week you know like you know, obviously, though, you're a patron, so you'll be in the Facebook group. And maybe I'll share my notes later in the week just for the patrons of what I would have put on the episode if we would have done one. So anyway, by the way, I also would like to just thank the patrons. Like, thanks to all of you yeah. for supporting the podcast. I guess we'll and, do that at the end. And for also giving such a great list of questions. Like, again, for the first patron cast, it was sort of like, well, uh, what do we talk about here? But we have a long list, and this this episode is totally driven by patron questions so thank you for your 
uh, activity in the Facebook group always and giving advice to fellow patrons. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for helping us get set for a really, right. I think, a really great show tonight. You're rivaling Elon's show planning skills. How about that, Elon? You're hey. replaceable by a group of patrons. I mean, that's not that bad. I, it's pretty hard. <laughs> I, I, if, if you're saying that like 20 people can can be better than me, that's 200 not 200 people. Answer. 250 collectively that okay. I, I could just have them all on the show instead of you and we'd be rolling. I'm sure it would sound great. Okay, <laughs> let's get started here. By the way, we just have to wait as soon as Matthew leaves the chat room, we'll get started because he traded Carlson today. So he's not welcome. So Matthew, you can just <laughs> uh, leave and we're going to get started here. Okay. Never trade Carlson. Never. What a, what a dummy. He says he did it for Carey Price. So he, well, let in a he just let in a goal. Oh, he's no good. oh forget it. Tyler Johnson. Oh, we have a question about him later on. So now yeah. you know the answer. Oh, and Palat. Oh, I just told someone that they should trade someone. They should trade Palat for someone. Oh, they'll be mad at me. Oh, it's Johnson for Palat and Kucherov. So I guess the triplets are back together and healthy. What an exciting time for Tampa Bay. What a bad time to be Carey Price playing against those guys. <laughs> what a bad time to be the guy who traded Eric Carlson for Carey Price. Okay, let's get started here. So we've got a lot of good questions, like we said. So let's stop teasing. Let's go to Brendan's question, who leads it off. Who are some players on teams with dense playoff schedules that may be worth targeting in a trade? So yeah, we're at that point, right? We're, you know, a couple months away for some people, maybe even less time for others before the fantasy hockey playoffs start. And if you're lucky enough or, you know, on the verge of being someone who's going to be in the playoffs, you have to start thinking ahead. If you have a player on a team who's barely going to play and you could trade him for someone equal, but th that's going to get like a ton more games, it might be worth considering that. So I, Brian have made a list of some teams with good and bad playoff schedules. Okay, but I made my list before you made your list. So can I start first? Uh, sure. Well, why don't we even start with the caveat? Since there's different schedules and different people have playoffs to start at different times, you know, you kind of have to take all this with a bit of a grain of salt. You have to look and see if this matches, matches up to your playoffs. And also, I'll say another caveat is if we say, let's say, for example, Brendan said that his playoffs start on March 13th and end on April 2nd. So it's the last three weeks of the season, but like not counting the very last week, which doesn't count for a lot of leagues. So you might see a team that plays a lot, but then if in the first week that team only plays twice and then you'll get eliminated in that week, it doesn't help you that you'll have lots of games in the later week. So there's lots to consider, but we'll talk about the teams that just have a lot of games every week versus the teams that hardly have any. So go ahead, Brian. Okay, so beginning March 13th, starting from there, Carolina, unfortunately, is the team that plays the most often from there through to the end of the season. They have 17 games in that stretch. Every other team plays somewhere between 13 and 15 games. Carolina is one of those teams where there's always a few guys floating around on your waiver wire, except none of them ever do anything. Like how many of us have cycled Elias Lindholm seven or eight times over the last couple of years and gotten very little out of it. The one guy and Elon try and hold back your reaction. The one guy that I think <laughs> Eddie Lack, might, Eddie Lack, <laughs> Eddie Lack might become relevant because in those 17 games, Carolina has five back to backs. So that's five times where they're playing two nights in a row and where goalies are often rotated. And I mean, Kim Ward playing 17 games, again, two more games than any other team over that last stretch, over that final stretch of the season, is going to be tired, assuming he's still the starter at that point. So Eddie Lack is sure to be getting some games in at that point if he is still with the team. I guess I wonder if he'd be like a deadline day deal from Carolina sending to a cup contender who needs like some backup help or just is interested in an insurance option. 
Uh, Detroit in that same span has six back-to-backs. So another guy who I've been stubbornly for for a while, although stubbornly against before the season started. And now I find myself trying to tell everybody he's he still could be good. Peter Morazic. Detroit is playing six back-to-backs. And then Buffalo and the Rangers have five back-to-backs each. So look at the backups from each of those teams if you're looking for goaltending. If you're looking for skaters, Carolina, well, unfortunately, is the one who has the most games. Okay, so first of all, it seems that when you say Carolina has 17 games, that means you're including the last week. So keep in mind, people, when you're looking at the games, you have to make sure you're only looking at the games that matter to you. Uh, But yeah, so if you're looking just from... Uh, those three weeks, not including the last week of the season, Carolina plays 13 times, which you, which if you think of it, that's 13 times in three weeks. That means four times for two weeks and then five times in one week, which is a crazy stretch. And then I guess if you're saying seven, 17, that means they play four times the week after, which is pretty nuts. Brian, like, first of all, Eddie Lack is not going to get traded. No team wants him. He's like been they the worst. Should. They should. He'd be a great buy low. And like, if you just need to, I'm not saying he's going to perform. Remember, I've given up. I gave up on yeah, Eddie so Stop Lack. talking about it. I've given it. up on Eddie Lack, the Carolina Hurricane. But there are people who are looking for minimum starts or, I don't know, if you're in a really deep league, I think you could do worse. I think that you can well, wait. You probably can't do much worse. <laughs> I think you could wait until the day that it's announced that Eddie Lack is going to start and you can add him then. I don't think you have to worry about him hey, right we have now. A, we have a question today about the best I and have, worst playoff yeah. schedules. So I am sharing yeah. my thoughts on the best and worst playoff schedules. We're, we're starting hot tonight. Disagree. Well, yeah, you're sharing a very useful information of which teams have good and bad playoff schedules, but then you're giving horrible advice of players <laughs> to target. So you're half, you're halfway there, but you're trying your best. Can I, can I do mine? Do yours. All right. So best schedules. Now I'm looking at just from the, those final three weeks that who was it? Brendan asked. Yeah. Brendan asked about, so not including the last week. So three weeks, so these are the teams that play 12 times or more. And actually only Carolina plays more. So there's Arizona. So that's four times, three straight weeks. Who could you target on Arizona? Obviously, it depends how deep your league is. But if a guy like Redim Verbata is still a free agent in your league and you're deciding whether it's time to maybe add him and you're deciding between a couple guys, if you're far enough ahead that you could afford to think that far ahead and think of players you might want to keep for the playoffs, Redim Verbata... And by the way, Arizona's not going to make the playoffs. They're not going to be resting their stars. They're going to go with all their stars all the way to the end. So you get Verbata. Also, Max Domi. Maybe what some stars? People. Ready Verbata, Max Domi. I'm going to tell you. Oliver Ekman Larson. Yeah. T- <laughs> there are <laughs> yeah, some. Okay. Anyways, oh, but you're saying you're saying those. You're, I thought you were saying like pick up other players because all their stars are going to be playing. But you're saying no, you can acquire these guys because you know they're going to be playing down the stretch. Yeah, you know how some teams like, and obviously if you're in a playoff that ends before the last week, then you probably can avoid this. But you know, some teams like to rest their star players, especially if they're older and if they think they're going to make the playoffs. Anyway, so yeah, I would say Max Domi, by the way, who's injured right now. So if the Domi owner needs help now and you want the help later, you got 12 games out of him right at the end. And then Oliver ekman Larson, who we're actually going to get to later in the show, but he's been having a down year. So you might be able to get him for cheap. Lots of games. Okay, Carolina, like you said, Justin Falk, who's the most frustrating guy to own in the whole world, but he's injured right now. Uh, if he happens to not be injured for those 13 games, that's a good guy to have 13 games for, but you're taking a risk there. I'm saying it like, I'm so mad at myself for having drafted him so high in my league where I'm against Brian, but I'd rather have him than Eddie Lack, that's for sure. Definitely one of the more, frust- they're both frustrating owns. Falk and Lack have a lot in common. No. Not so do. much. I think if I remember right, Falk was like day to day for like two months down the stretch of last year. And now he's week to week. I, I feel like, I don't know. Uh, you can go grab him, but you have to be ready 
for what might happen yeah. as a result. You might just be stuck. He might burn a hole in your roster because he can't be put on IR or IR plus or whatever. Well, if you're in the playoffs and he gets injured, you could always just drop him, I guess. But yeah. that, that would suck if you had to give something up for him. But if you want to roll the dice, you could go for Justin Falk. Uh, Minnesota has 12 games. So I'm thinking like another guy who gets injured a lot. So you might be able to get for cheap Zach Parisi. If he's playing, that's a good guy to have, obviously. I also think Eric Stahl... I feel like the person who has Eric Stahl might be thinking now it's time to sell high because he's been doing so well. But I, I really like him, and I think that he could at least put up a 60-point pace. And if that's over 12 games and you're trading someone who's going to play 10 games, then if you could trade someone who's going to get like a 60-point pace, that could still be a good deal. Obviously, you're not going to be able to get Stahl for cheap at this point, but someone to think about. And then finally on Philadelphia, they also play 12 games. I don't know if there's really like any buy lows on Philly that I could think of right now, but I guess Braden Shen hasn't been too amazing so far. So you could go with him or, you know, if you want to spend, if you want to, you know, trade a really good player for another really good player based on schedule, trade someone from Buffalo, trade Jack Eichel for Jacob Voracek. I don't know if you, I don't know. I'm just coming up with a couple of names here, but you know, go for Voracek. He's going to play a ton of games. I'm sure he's going to get a ton of points. Brian, do you want to chime in here or should I say the teams with bad schedules? Uh, No, I do want to chime in here. I was just going to check out uh, Philadelphia only has three back-to-back. So they're a team who likes to go back and forth between their goalies when they're both healthy. Uh, I hope those days are over. But if they're not, um, there might be a few extra starts in there. I think... um, I think that's good, Elon. Two things I want to mention, and it's funny because you you went you cut off the last week, and and you know we're both big believers in not doing anything for the last week of the season because teams are resting their stars and it's uneven games played. If your league counts the last week of the season, um, if I read the schedule right, Ottawa and Toronto play five times over the last week of the season which is huge if you can get any of those players, like, you know, just shots on goal alone. You get a guy who gets one shot a game and you're adding five shots to your matchup total if there's any potential for it to be close. Um, yeah, or if your league counts hits, you add Borovetsky and you can just win the whole category with just him. Except you added Borovetsky and he did nothing for you. He scored a goal yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just what you were hoping for. Uh, no, I don't think I... So, so you're saying target Arizona... Minnesota, Philadelphia. I say if your league goes longer, uh, Carolina's a good team to go. And goalies from Detroit, Buffalo, and New York for spot starts, like the yeah. backup options. Okay. okay. And then I'll... who's going to – you're going to go? I, how about go. Me, let me do the final two weeks, and then you can go if your last week is cut off. Sure. Okay. Eight games over the last two weeks. It's a long list. Colorado, Washington, Columbus, Toronto, St. Louis, Nashville, Ottawa, Tampa – Brooklyn slash Long Island slash the New York Islanders, Carolina, mm-hmm. Florida, and LA. They all play eight games, which is good. Did Winnipeg. You say Carolina? Oh, you're talking about the teams that play a lot. Yeah, over the last two weeks. Those are Who's... all teams. Uh, yeah. It's boring. And, oh, sorry. Okay, so the teams that don't play a lot, Winnipeg, you definitely want to. If you own Winnipeg Jets, it might behoove you, especially if your league uh, goes straight to the end of the season. Uh, it might behoove you to to get rid of them, to try and sell them, even like for lateral moves. Uh, Devils and Rangers also don't play a whole lot over the last couple of weeks, but Winnipeg definitely plays the fewest. Okay, yeah, but I think most leagues don't count that last week. I don't know, like tell us in the chat here, does your league count the last week of the season? Those leagues are annoying. They, they shouldn't if they do. By the way, we've had some interesting thoughts in the chat room. Michael, yeah, he says Ghost Bear might be a good guy to target on Philly. Yeah, he's been a little cold. So, so they, I cold. Get... Since he got back, he hasn't had a point. I think he's been back five or six games. Nothing. He's still getting shots on net, but still. So then I guess 
it's kind of like you're buying low just in general, but for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's not a sure thing at this point. And also now Mark straight is going to be back from injury. I wonder if at some point, is it possible that Philly will go back to straight as the only defense on the top power play? So a storyline to watch. They've done weirder things, especially with their goaltenders. But anyways, yeah. Oh, where, where are we finding these schedules? There's one site that I actually like to go to for schedules because they have lots of good tools for that. And that's left wing luck. So you could go to their roster maximizer and you could set a date range. I'll tell you how many teams play within those dates. And they also have a pretty nice UI for looking at the schedule, but you know, uh, frozen pool, Frozen Pool also has a nice schedule. Yeah, I find I find that the most convenient way uh, you can get the schedule with analysis of the schedule as it comes up uh, in the looking ahead column over at Dabra sure. Hockey. How's that? That's nice. Okay. I'm going to tell you now, worst schedules for those last three weeks, the ones that Brendan asked about, and I guess we're only on the first question here. So, But okay, there's only two teams that play nine times, which is the lowest. So that means only three games a week, as opposed to these other teams I told you that play four times a week. So you're losing three games if you have someone from Buffalo or Montreal. So I know that a lot of people maybe are excited about Carey Price. There's someone in the chat room here that traded Eric Carlson for Carey Price, and he's going to get only not, but you know, anyways, with the goalie, if it's not a lot of back-to-backs, maybe you end up getting the same number of games. So I'm just joking around here, but yeah, Buffalo, Montreal. So, you know, I don't know, like I said, you could trade Jack Eichel. You could maybe sell high on Shea Weber, you know, be creative, but those are the teams that have the weakest schedule. So I hope that helped Brendan. Uh, How about we go to the next question? And that is from Matthew. He asked, will Leonard and Buffalo improve in the second half? So I know Leonard hasn't been doing that well lately, but overall in the season, he's been pretty decent, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the question was, will he improve? But what's to improve after 24 games? Okay. I know what's to improve, but his own stats are pretty good. A 922 save percentage, 2.47 goals against. His record, however, is pretty shabby. 8, 10, and 5. Uh, this year is only the fourth time Leonard's played more than 20 games. So it's it's hard to really gauge where he should be and if we want him to get any better than 922. Um, but he is putting up his best even strength save percentage of those four years in which he's played more than 20 games, even though he's actually posted his worst high danger save percentage of his career so far. Uh, the bump right now that he's experiencing that's raising his whole even strength save percentage is in the medium danger shot. So we'll see if everything goes back to about normal or if he can keep up that medium danger save percentage while also working to raise his high danger. Four years of small sample sizes. So we don't know exactly. Like he could be anywhere from a 905 goalie to a 920 goalie. I, I probably falls somewhere in there. Hopefully somewhere in the middle. League average would be nice. Um, Buffalo, playing for Buffalo is, is not a great job to have. They're in a three-way tie for 24th with the Islanders and Red Wings. Eight of their 21 losses have come during OT, though. So it's like they're coming close, but but no cigars. Um, they are a bottom third team in the league in Corsi 4 percentage and goals 4 percentage. And their PDO is pretty much, it's 997. So 1,000 means everything is about normal and they're not getting any above average goaltending or above average shooting percentage or below average for either of those things. The bright side for the Sabres, well, I was going to say everybody's healthy, but O'Reilly now has an appendectomy. He must have got he must have caught it from Corey Schneider. Uh, the bright side is the Sabres have the 11th highest expected goals for percentage, which is actually 11 spots ahead of their actual goals for percentage ranking, which means that maybe there is some room for them to move up. Even if they just keep doing what they're doing, uh, things could get better for them. Expected goals for percentage, by the way. Or actually, let me just 
defined goals for percentage. That is the share of goals that happen, if that makes sense. So, Elon, if the Sabres <laughs> score six goals and the other team scores four, they have a 60% goals for percentage. So it, it, it's just, it's like a fancy plus minus it, and it phrases it in a similar way to Corsi and sort of evens it out and, and uh, proportions it all. And expected goals for percentage, of course, takes into context uh, where shots on the ice are coming from, how dangerous they are, that sort of thing. Okay. So you're saying that we could expect Buffalo to score some more goals. It makes sense. We were just talking about Eichel on the last episode and he's taken a bunch of shots, but hadn't scored any goals for a while. Then I believe yesterday he finally did get a couple of points. So good for Eichel. We anti-jinxed him well. And uh, Robin Leonard, he's actually injured right now. I'm seeing a neck injury, but I think he's just like, he got hit in this hit in the neck with a stick and he should, he should be fine, but he's injury prone also. So if you're really depending on Leonard to, you know, help you in late in the season, first of all, like I said, watch that schedule. Buffalo doesn't play that much. I think for goalies, like I also said, doesn't really matter because maybe that just means less starts for Anders Nielsen. But if like, you have to worry that Leonard could get injured. I think of all the goalies out there, he's one of the ones I'd be most nervous about being able to actually stay healthy for the whole season. But I do think that Leonard will be able to stay the same like he has a good save percentage and he had a good save percentage last year as well right he had a 924 last year he has a 922 this year so there's not a huge reason to expect a dip brian hasn't given any anyways with like these like high danger stuff a dip you- i i would ex- i feel like that's high for him i i don't feel like he's established himself as the elite goalie that he came up through the send system everyone believing he is he's got to play more for us to get a sense and actually i i can tease we're gonna have a little goalie uh bonus episode next week where I'm going to try and answer some of these questions uh, with a little more depth and data with, uh, with Ian Fleming. Oh, well, great. So ask him about Robin Leonard. I don't know. I think Leonard is like a bit of a risky guy to own, but I think there's some upside there. Like I think that Buffalo, when they're all healthy, they should be able to score some goals. And the que- and I think Leonard's like decent enough that he could, you know, give you a decent save percentage. And, you know, even if Buffalo lets in a lot of shots, he'll give you saves and the save percentage. I don't think will be putrid. Like maybe he won't be nine twenty two. But I don't think he's going to fall to like a nine ten or something like like Eddie. He's not going to fall near Eddie Lack territory. Anyways. Well, Eddie Lack territory is far below that, uh, and I don't know. I think he's a high risk, high reward guy. The risk is an injury and just not being good. But he has had some nice little runs, and he's experiencing one now. So I think his record will improve with the Sabers. I, I think they're a better team than they've shown. I mean, even if you if you look at them in the standings. Like they're actually, if you think Toronto and Florida have been doing okay, they're within one and two points of those teams respectively. So even though they're tied for 24th, it's a pretty, it's a pretty even league and they can, they can certainly bounce up the standings with a nice little run, which they haven't, they haven't put one of those together yet. Okay. So let's go to the next question now. And that is from Chris, who's in the chat room. I saw, so he has, is it time to cut bait on Oliver Ekman Larson? And he's saying, Points out trade, not waves. So yeah, you can't drop Oliver Ekman Larson. Like, I can't even imagine how shallow your league would have to be. And then, so then the question becomes so you could trade him, but if he's not doing that well right now, and I'm trying to bring up his stats here, uh, like, you're not going to get much for him. So it kind of depends. Like, let's, let's just like update our expectations for him. Okay. Like, going into the season, we were really high on him. We've already discussed, I think, on a previous show, like maybe like too high. Like, he had 55 points. In, in 75 games last year. So that was like over a 55-point pace then, like closer to 57. But before that, he'd always been closer to a 45-point goalie. So maybe we were a bit overzealous to expect him to get like 55 for sure. And this year, he's got 17 in 35 so far, which is 
obviously a lot lower than a 55-point pace. It's actually a 40-point pace, so below even what he was doing before. So I think, I mean, just, you know, this is the most like, naive analysis possible, but I would say, like, you should expect him to do a little bit better, like, at least how well he was doing, like, the previous seasons before last season. And I know, like, now it's two straight games without a point, and before that he had two straight games without a point. Uh, yesterday's game against Dallas, like, no shots even, no hits, no blocks. Oh, my gosh, what a horrible stat line for Ekman Larson. But at the end of the day, he's still, like, the top power play defenseman. Maybe once Max Domi comes back, there'll be some more offense for Arizona. So, I mean, I think my expectations are lowered on him, and it obviously depends who you can get for him. But I don't think he's, like, going to be a 40-point defenseman. I think he could do better than that for sure. I think he can do better than that too. And just to be, you, you said goalie before, but then you just said defenseman. That was going to be my lead in. I was going to make fun of you, but oh well. Uh, 40 would have been points. Classic. Yeah, it would have been so. And now I just made fun of my, embarrassed myself. So it all evened out in the end. Uh, not, not a great season. The most concerning thing, yeah, is those shots on goal numbers. I mean, we talked about before the season or early in the season, how last year's 55 points, they might've been a little high and that 45 points is, is what you can expect reasonably with a ton of shots and a good chunk of those 45 points being goals. And so you see him on a 40 point pace now and it's like, okay, like the difference between that and a 45 point pace at this point is just a couple points. It's not a huge deal, except you look at how you'd expect him to get those points and his bread and butter, his shot rates, they're way down like you, you expect him to take a lot of shots on goal, so he gets 15, 20 in a year. But at even strength and on the power play, he is shooting a lot less than he was before. He's on pace for just 170 shots, which is good for a defenseman, but it's not good for Oliver ekman Larson. He had 199 last year. The two years before that, he was above 200 shots. So I don't know. Like if you're asking, Chris, if you should cut bait on him, I feel like the answer is no, because I feel like the only way he can go from here is up. However, if you have someone valuing him near those 55 points and they want to buy low and pay you a very reasonable price to get him, I suppose you could and sort of just just wash your hands of the risk that Ekman Larson's shot rates don't come back up. Because Elon, I know you said Domi's out and maybe when he comes back, things will get better, but that's not going to make Ekman Larson shoot significantly more often you know I wonder if bringing I thought Goligoski coming to the team was going to be like a, a positive thing for Ekman Larson it was going to give him more support and even let him have a little more free reign offensively uh, hasn't happened that way yeah and Goligoski hasn't been that great either like there's not too many exciting people in fantasy on Arizona except for Redeem Verbata he's been great even Hansel totally has dried up Mike Smith has been good. <laughs> He's the one who surprised me maybe the most on that team. So, Brian, let me throw a, a name at you because it's a name that, I don't know, it's, uh, for some reason he comes up a lot in my head. Like Rasmus Ristolainen, undervalued going into the season. Or at least I thought he was going to be good. You didn't think as much. I'm curious to know if you've changed your mind about him. Like right now he has 24 points in 34 games, okay? So that's compared to Oliver ekman Larson, who has like 17 points in 35 games. So like a, a significant higher number of points for Rasmus Ristolainen over Oliver ekman Larson, And also he has 77 shots versus Oliver ekman Larson 73. So he even has more shots. What, what Would that be a trade that Chris should consider if he can get Ristolainen for ekman Larson? Yeah, I think it is. Like offensively, at least. A lot of people knock his defensive game, but we don't care much about that in fantasy. Offensively, he's doing quite well, and it seems pretty sustainable 
what you're trading off is the possibility of getting those 10 or 15 goals over the course of the year that Ekman Larson will provide, but you get some certainty back in the meantime. And if your league counts blocks, you sort of get those instead of the shots that Ekman Larson would get you when he's at the top of his game. So that that's not a bad idea, Elon, since Ristolainen can be in the same neighborhood and also still contribute in a peripheral, if not shots on goal. Yeah, well, Patty is saying she already had that idea. She offered it and it got declined. So maybe I'm like giving Oliver Ekman Larson too much credit. Maybe you can't even pull a Ristolainen at this point. Chris is saying he was turned down on an OEL for Latang and Coil swap. Well, obviously. Like, <laughs> what did you? Yeah. Yeah. You asked, I mean, Latang and a, you asked for Latang and a sweetener? Like, who Who do you think you are? Good try. Good effort, Chris. No. I, I think. I it mean, wasn't. I don't know if you could have done that even last year with his 55-point pace, but I, I appreciate your audacity. No, it was a bad effort. You <laughs> cannot ask for Chris Tank plus someone else. That's crazy. Like, I, I know he's injured, but still, it was a, uh, you could do better. Like, well, if it got declined, did the guy say, how about Oyel for Latang straight up? Because I think I would take that deal. You're taking a risk, just like with Justin Falk. But, you know, at least Chris Latang has a huge upside compared to Justin Falk, who has a nice upside, but I would take speaking, the risk on Latang. Speaking of Latang, Elon, we had a little conversation earlier today off off microphone where we <laughs> lamented how we both took big risks on Latang this year. Like we both considered him I when we prepared for our pools and like we we did we did some of it together. You did a lot of the the spreadsheet work and a lot of it was adjusted for games played, and we're like, okay, in an 82-game season, Latang is right up there with Burns and Carlson, so maybe he's not that far off from them. Maybe we can consider him in that top group. And and now we're experiencing firsthand why that's a mistake, why you shouldn't consider him in that group. I own him in two leagues, and it has been just an exercise in frustration in both of them. I don't enjoy owning him. I think I'm going to lose one league because I went for him Right off the bat, after Carlson and Burns were gone, I figured I'd better hurry up and get Latang. Uh, and I think it's, I think it's going to sink me. I think it might be the reason I lose. So, oh, Let, well, Latang is not with those two for a reason. Is is what we concluded, right? Like you have to take into account that he's not going to play 82 games, which we did. But it's enough of a drop off. Like it, it's enough fewer games played, especially if it's not in a head to head league. Like I'm talking, this is an accumulative points league, or if you're in a roto league. Uh, it, it hurts. It hurts a lot. Um, well, Brian, you're kind of being a little doomsdayish right now because uh, do you not think you're going to make the playoffs in those in that league, or do you think you're going to make the playoffs? There are no playoffs. It's just it, it's a pretty basic league. It's just points. Like oh. go, you get a couple for a goal, one for an assist. Oh yeah, then you made a huge mistake. Big because mistake you, because you knew that. Well, then you don't account for games played if if the games played yeah. actually matter. Yeah, jokes on me. But I also did it in the Epic League where we have the playoffs coming up. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know that I can count on him well, to be healthy. Hopefully. Hopefully yeah. you can. Like, I have him in the cupful where I am sinking fast. Like, the, my idea of picking him in the cupful was also, I think, a bit of a mistake, or at least for spending so much on him. Because I just assumed I'll probably make the playoffs, like, obviously. And then, uh, hopefully, you know, I have a good chance of having Latang for my fantasy playoffs. Now I've lost three weeks in a row. If I have another bad week this week, which so far it's not looking great, I'm going to fall into the relegation playoffs. I'll have Latang for that. Whoop-de-doo. So, yeah, it has been frustrating. And I and also like Justin Schultz has been so good and I could have picked him up. Ah, fantasy hockey sometimes. I don't know how you guys do it. No, I'm just kidding. We we do it also. Okay. 
Hello everyone, me again, just budding in here for a moment to tell you about our sponsor, SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest way to find hockey tickets this season. There's nothing like being behind the glass for the biggest matchups of the year. And with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the guaranteed seats you want for a great value. I know a lot of people are concerned sometimes about buying tickets online, not from the official team website. They say, how am I going to know that this ticket is actually going to get me into the game? Every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is actually backed by their 100% guarantee, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, Keeping Carlson listeners are also going to get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code, enter the promo code KEEPING, and then SeatGeek is going to send you $20 after you've made your first purchase. It's just that easy. So download the SeatGeek app, get instant access to seats for the events that you want to go to, enter the promo code KEEPING today when you check out. For tickets on fleek, check out SeatGeek. And now back to our regularly scheduled patron cast. Let's go to the next question about John Tavares. Another one, another thing I could complain about because Brian, we traded Dustin Bufflin for John Tavares in our joint league. We actually have a comment here from Matthew saying he'd love to have a peek at our joint league team. Maybe we could, uh, Matthew, throw that into the Facebook uh, patron cast thread and maybe we could get to that at the end. We could tell you who's on our team if people are interested, I don't know. Anyways, John Tavares, we traded for him because I thought we actually had so many good defensemen that we drafted that I thought it was a luxury that we could then trade one of our good defensemen for an elite forward, a guy who gets picked in the first round every year. But John Tavares is not having a great season overall. He has right now 24 points in 34 games. That is a 24 divided by 34 times 82. 58 point pace. What? 58 point pace for John Tavares? He's supposed to be 70, like at least, like going into the season. I thought that people were maybe underrating him because they saw him more as a 70 point guy when I still saw him as closer to a point per game guy. But he's been well like below that and clearly like i don't think it's his fault i don't think anyone thinks it's his fault just the islanders don't have anyone like anders lee has i don't even get how anders lee is getting all these points playing with Tavares, and yet Tavares, like what has he done lately if you look at his game log it's like uh he has one goal and that's it in his last five games so how did that happen ridiculous but anyways should i should i drop anders lee for Tavares? <laughs> yeah i mean sorry oh i blew it i blew it anyway should i drop Tavares for anders lee okay well how about how about we answer this question from Rami, who asked, uh, he made a bold move and traded Getzlaff for Tavares, and then he has the shoulder shrug emoticon. So uh, I wonder if I would do that, because Getzlaff, how's he been doing lately? I haven't even really been following him. I've only been He's watching been... Ricard Raquel. Let me fill you in. Getzlaff has been doing very well in 33 games so far. He has four goals and 24 assists for 28 points. So that's that's a fantastic pace. 13 power play points amongst those. Uh, he's not going to get you goals. He's not going to get you a lot of shots, but he is doing very well setting up his friends as he often does. Interestingly, while while looking into it, um, I found that he is one of very few players who um, I actually stopped it a couple of years ago, uh, like my search, but between 2008 and 2014, because they've, they've dipped since, but there were only uh, nine guys who maintained an on-ice shooting percentage in all that time above 10%. And that might sound arbitrary or odd, um, but again, only ten, only nine guys were able to do it. Usually uh, your on-ice shooting percentage is somewhere around 8 to 9%. And so 
if you've got a high on a shooting percentage, you're either very good at setting up other players or you're very good at getting uh, at converting on a high percentage of your own shots. Uh, like, look at the other guys on the list. Crosby, Stamkos, Tange, Marty St. Louis, Bobby Ryan, Thomas Vanek, Henrik Sedin, Ryan Getzlaff, and Joffrey Lupel. So a bit of a mixed bag, but some of the game's best players. And Alex Tange is one of the game's most efficient shooters. Uh, Bobby Ryan's a sniper. Thomas Vanek, this, this includes those days where he was an incredibly uh, effective finisher. So uh, good for Ryan Getzlaff for being that guy. All that said, those, those days are a little bit behind him. Like he's not going to, he's not still putting up an on-ice shooting percentage over 10%. And if you look at his own shooting percentage, it's like he's stopped trying. He's shooting like 3% over the last year and a half. We all know how badly last year started for him, but this year hasn't been any better on the shooting front. Um, I actually looked into all this because I thought Remy's question uh, said he traded Tavares for Getzlaff, and I was thinking, oh, nice move. Nice move, because he, he's oh. also been good um, pre- and post-All-Star break. So that was the question, like, is he better in the second half? If you look at his career splits, he's he's about the same. He's, ve- he's very strong in both. Tavares, the silver lining in all this, Tavares actually does historically play better after the All-Star break. He's played at an 80-plus point pace. After the All-Star break, before that, uh, generally about a 70 point pace and this year so far I mean it's an okay buy low I think he just might have still bought a bit high uh but Tavares is a low shooting percentage low IPP um lower shot rates which isn't great but it's nothing critical uh it seems like fewer of his shot attempts are actually getting on net so while his his Corsi his shot attempt rates haven't fallen significantly his shot on goal rate so the shots that actually make it to a goalie that threaten to score that aren't blocked or miss the net um, that has fallen a little bit. So um, I don't know. Good luck to to you and Tavares. It, it's I feel I feel like the Islanders are wasting him. It's a real shame that he's there. Of course, he's the one after Samkos, who the Maple Leafs, uh, who everybody thinks is going to be in a Maple Leafs jersey sometime. It didn't work out for Samkos. We'll see. I don't mm-hmm. know. Things things don't. If things keep going this way in Long Island for him, uh, I can't imagine that he wants to stay there when he has the chance to leave. Well, unless maybe, I don't know, he has loyalty and he thinks he could help bring them to the promised land. But it would be nice for them to give him some support, bringing in Andrew Ladd to replace Kyle Ocposo when they could have just signed Kyle Ocposo, you know, is really looking not great, even though actually Andrew Ladd uh, had a couple goals in his last game. And I was going to bring him up. If we were doing an episode right now, I'd be bringing up Andrew Ladd as a hot streak guy. But he's not even playing with John Tavares, so it doesn't really matter for him. I guess I will say that Tavares always had a good wingman. Like, you know, he was playing with, Molson and Parento back when they were like relevant guys when he was getting his point per game paces and then even then he was with Kyle Ocposo like I said last season he was away from Ocposo and then he was down to you know the 70 points as opposed to the 80 points and last year he was playing with guys like Josh Bailey and Ryan Strom and Anders Lee and that's who he's playing with this year so I don't I think he's going to do better this year I still think he could hit that 70 point pace but I'm I don't know if he could hit the 80 point pace like you know, he's always had someone really good with him. And now I just don't see someone there that could elevate him that high. Like, obviously, he can elevate himself, but it's nice to have people who can help you out. But like Brian said, maybe, you know, if the shooting percentage goes up and maybe he gets uh, more shots on net than uh, he's getting now because I guess a lot of shots are being blocked or something. I, I do expect him to do better. And I think it's like a reasonable thing because Ryan Getzlaff, I don't expect him to be so much higher than 70 points. So it could end up being a decent trade for you, but probably lateral like at best, and then it could also be worse. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll see. 
Yeah, that's how I see it. I mean, Tavares at least has a chance of scoring more goals. Getzlaff right now is on a 70-point pace, so that that's not unbeatable if Tavares can get it together or the Isles can get it together. Um, it's it's an interesting deal. I hope it works out for you. You know, you can also uh, put your faith in Ryan Getzlaff being old and and things being difficult from there. One name you didn't mention, Elon, who John Tavares does not get to play with this year, Kyle Lukposo. Right, he played most of last year alongside Ryan Strom and Kyle Lukposo, and Kyle Lukposo did good things with and away from John Tavares, and continues to do good things away from John Tavares. He needs someone to play with, and right now the Isles are offering him nothing. Well, he's, they're offering him Anders Lee and Josh Bailey, who are both actually having really good seasons. And like you said, the IPP IPP is this like stat for how many times when a goal is scored when you're on the ice, do you get a goal or assist on that goal? And so if that's low that is like usually a good sign that that should, that should rise. Right. And Anders Lee and Josh Bailey are doing well. So maybe it's uh John, uh, Patty's asking if it's John Ferris's fault. No. How dare you? Well, <laughs> the curious, the curious thing, Elon, is you'd expect a star like John Tavares to be responsible for, or in on a lot of the goals that are scored while he's on the ice. And he's actually finding himself off the score sheet more than he ever has for goals that are scored while he's on the ice. Now, Again, it's not. I, I don't think it's going to sustain that way. I think he'll regress and in, in a positive way, and he'll get back up in his IPP, and he'll be part of more of the goals scored while he's on the ice. But it is. It's weird. It's weird. They've got John Tavares and two guys who would be, I don't know, top nine players on most other NHL rosters. Maybe that's not kind. Second liners on most other NHL rosters, and yet he's the one who's uh, who's not finding his way onto the score sheet when a goal does uh, get to the back of the net. So Brian Matthews asking like what when you say he has a low IPP like how low what is I I I could answer a bit of this I know that you've said before with IPP you can't just look at what's an average IPP across the league different teams play differently but you can look at a player and compare his IPP this year to previous years right so you so you'd expect for Tavares for a good forward for a top six forward seventy uh, percent is a nice number to hit uh, Tavares historically has usually been. Uh, somewhere in the mid 70s to 80s uh last year he was up at 85 which was a little high the years before 73 the year before that 80 uh this year 56 56 percent ipp so he certainly he should be in on 20 percent more of the goals scored while he's on the ice he hasn't been um and we'll see if he can if he can get to correcting that yeah, Patty said in the chat, maybe he's overrated. I don't know if she's like just having fun or if she's asking seriously, but you know, like, I mean, it's a reasonable thing to ask, right? He's underperforming. Maybe we shouldn't blame it on other people, maybe blame it on him. But I mean, you just look at his career stats, like the last four seasons before last season, he was over a point per game. And then last season, like I said, 70 points and 78. So I feel like he's been doing well for long enough that we should give him uh, some slack and just... I, I expect him to do better, like I said, and I don't blame him. I blame the fact that the Islanders haven't given him anyone, like even a defenseman. Like, who is the top scoring defenseman on the Islanders this season? Is it Letty? Like, you know, you assume you're going to draft Letty as your top Islanders defenseman, but I don't even know if I'd make a bet right now on if he's the top scoring guy. Like, they don't have anyone to start the play or do all the good things that, uh, you know, a star player needs. Like, Crosby has. Batang and Ovechkin has John Carlson most of the time. Like you, usually you could name a defenseman that goes with these star players. You know, like Kane and Panarin have Duncan Keith. The highest scoring defenseman on the Islanders is Nick Letty with 14 points in 33 games. Uh, Dennis Seidenberg has the highest point pace, though, if my calculations are right. He has 12 points in six fewer games. 
Uh, and Travis Hamanick also has 12 points. I was waiting to see like Johnny Boychuk is actually fourth. Anyway, not a lot, uh, not a lot happening on that blue line. Wow. And they let go and they let Mark Strike go. Dummies and Ocposo. Okay. Uh, we'll get back to them in a little bit because I think there's a question coming up about Halak, but let's leave that for a while. It's too, too depressing. Let's talk about Julian's question. I'm in Brussels on vacation. Ooh la la. So I can't listen live, but here's a couple questions. He has a couple, then he asks three. So, all right. Okay. Okay. First, is Forsberg getting back into fantasy excellency or is it just a fluke according to the underlying numbers? So I'll let Brian comment on the underlying numbers, but I will say that Philip Forsberg has definitely woken up he has three goals in his last four games uh then he had two games without goals so i guess he hasn't like completely woken up but yeah he's a nice stretch recently but he's taking some shots he had four shots in the last game and then only one and two before that and then five before that but if you look at overall over his last like let's say five to ten games you're definitely seeing a lot more shots than you saw before that and of course what you want to look for in a star player is you want him to be playing on decent line and if i look at nashville's lines in their last game they were running forsberg with johansson and victor arvidsson which is great. I remember for a while, Forsberg was like on the outside looking in and it was like Neil and Arvidsson and Johansson or something like that. And then Forsberg with, you know, I don't know, like the Mike Fishers and whoever on the top power play. Let me see. Forsberg was there as well. So I don't think it's a fluke because Philip Forsberg has been good for a couple seasons now. And I think he was slow for a while, but you know, I think I would need to see him struggle for a lot longer and then do well before I would say that doing well would be the fluke. I think the struggling was the fluke. Yeah, I think it's funny because we had a lot of questions about like Forsberg, he's doing no good. Was he ever going to come back? Is he ever going to be good again? And now that he is, the question is now, can he possibly keep this up? Or is he actually overplaying how uh, how he should, overachieving? Um, one thing that jumps out at me with Forsberg, he has only four power play points so far this year. You compare that with one of his line mates, uh, Ryan Johansson, who has 11 power play points. I feel like he should do better there and you can expect more from him there. It has been a really uneven season though. And I, and, and I don't think he's back. Like you said, Elon, he has a few goals in his last four or five games, which is great. He's gone 14 games without an assist, which is crazy. Like you should just be able to luck your way into a secondary assist at some point. Um, so I, I, yeah, I still think he's good. And his shooting percentage is down, and I expect that to recover. And I think he should be able to contribute more on the power play, too. Uh, it's been a disappointing season, though. Like, I'm not ready to be like, yeah, Philip Forsberg firing on all cylinders. Not quite yet. I'm not there. And interestingly, Elon, if you own Victor Arvidsson, he has gone pointless in four of his last five. He's still getting shots on net, uh, two, three, or four each game, generally two or three. Uh, He had one three-point game against the Devils in those last five games. That was the one where he hit the score sheet. But he's been quiet since. So maybe that's somebody to start being on snoozer watch for. Although if he's playing with with Forsberg and Johansson, that's a pretty good thing. And yeah, someone else asked later about Ryan Johansson. And he's actually leading the Predators in points. He's got 24. Victor Arvidsson is second with 23. He's, I don't know. It's been a weird season in Nashville. I want Subban back who's been injured for too long now. I want I want 20 games. I want 20 more games. Show me what the Predators are like, because the first, the first month or two, it wasn't like Pittsburgh last year bad, but it was still really bad. And I feel like we're, we're just seeing them get their feet under them, or at least that's, that's the hope for anyone who thinks they're a legitimate contender. 
Yeah, when you bring up Arvidsson um, not having many points in the last games, like you said, only one point in his last five or something. Like, when you do you consider the fact that like Nashville hasn't scored that much, right? Like yeah. they lost three to two, they lost four nothing, they have a five one win, but then uh, then before that you have a two one win, a two one loss, five two loss. They're only scoring one or two goals each game, so I don't know. But at the same time, that like Arvidsson hurts from that, and then you take the whole team into effect. I'd be like a lot more concerned, I guess, if Nashville was scoring goals and Arvidsson wasn't a part of them. So. I still kind of maybe wrongly, but I have faith that Forsberg and Johansson and those guys will be able to score if Arvidsson's on a good line like that. Like I wouldn't give up on him. I feel like it's too quick to give up on someone who has five scoreless games if they're still on that good line. Like if he was dropped to a bad line and he's not doing anything, that's when I usually consider dropping them. Then usually I get burned or not usually, but sometimes I get burned because then they jump back to the good line and then they start getting points again. It's like, oh, why did I do that? Like Nazem Kadri. But anyways, I want to talk about him. But anyways, I'm, I'm not ready to drop Arvidsson yet. If you added him and enjoyed that run, I'd hold on a bit longer. But yeah, okay. no, no, I'm not saying to drop him. And you're right. Like James Neal also has fewer points than Arvidsson on the season. Uh, also has been off the score sheet all but one time in his last five games. Uh, I don't know. Still put. He also has only five power play points. It's been a weird season. I'm not. Uh, I'm not ready to to define Nashville by their performances thus far. I think they've all learned a little more slack. But I can imagine that uh, Forsberg and Johansson owners aren't aren't feeling very patient. I know I'm not as somebody who went big on them uh, to start the season. All right. So Julian's second question is: Monahan just having an off season, or do you guys think he could score at a sixty to sixty five point pace for the rest of the season? So definitely, Monahan was ice cold at the start of the year, but then he had that amazing hot streak, right? Like if you just look at over the last month, he has twelve points in thirteen games. But then I guess if you zoom in even more, he has no points in his like, or he has three points in his last six. And checking here, yeah, he has no points in his last three games. But before that, he was getting almost a point every game. I think if you even it all out, like I still think he should be able to get six like a B on a 60 point pace which is basically uh three points in every four games um like they've been separating him and Gaudreau which I'm not exactly sure why but you know they were winning for a while and you know whenever Brian Elliott plays they win and they had that 6-3 win against Colorado so uh, I guess disappointingly for Monaghan owners he didn't get in on any of those but he did have four shots so I think he's fine like he's getting a lot of time he's taking a lot of shots again he's on the top power play I think a 60-point pace is, like, pretty much something you could bank on. Uh, like, unless Goudreau gets injured again, which would then maybe throw everything into flux. But I'm, I'm not too worried about him. I think that he's already answered that question himself after his horrible start. I'm still a little worried. I'd like to, I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, but playing away from Goudreau, I, I don't know how that's going to work out long term. I'd like to think he can still be a 60-plus guy with Goudreau uh, without... We'll see. Like, we know the Flames aren't that deep. If you look at the rest of their roster, I mean, we're talking about Matthew Kachuk is probably one of the better line mates you could hope to have, and Chris Versteeg being one of the better complementary players on the team. And it doesn't go much deeper than that in terms of guys who you have a good chance to score with. They thought Troy Brower would be really great for that while well, he was at one point. They thought Alex Chason could score 25 goals. Um, they were wrong and will continue to be wrong about that. Monaghan, to, to be the cynic, to be the cynic, Monaghan has had 10 good games, and that's it. Uh, and those only spanned over three weeks. So if you're in a head-to-head league and a weekly in your weekly matchups, he helps you for like two and a half of them, maybe three of them, and the rest of the time he's just been murder to your stats. Um, all that said, like I do still want to say, like I think he can be a 60-point pace guy the rest of the way. With Gaudreau, I don't know, maybe you need to temper your expectations if he's going to keep playing without him. Uh, he is putting more shots on goal than he was at the start of the season. So that's a positive thing. 
um, that he's been able to at least get his game up to that point. Do you want to bet board this, Brian? I would take over 60-point pace moving forward if you want to take the under. Well, I'm saying he can still do it if he plays more often with Gaudreau. And if he, like, that that run where he had those 10 good games, it came with a lot of power play points. I think he had, like, seven straight with a power play point in them. So I'm not going to take that bet. Okay. And if you look at actually just their line combos from the last game against Colorado, where they won 6-3, to Monaghan did play some time with Gaudreau. There was, you can see here, uh, he played 7.72% of the game with Gaudreau and Michael Furland. He was also with Christopher Stieg and Michael Furland for a bit. So I guess Gaudreau left his line because Gaudreau was playing with Chase on and Sam Bennett. And he left out a couple other good, decent guys that these guys could be playing with. There's Michael Backlund, who I think had a hat trick that game. And Michael Froelich. Like, these are guys that aren't horrible line mates. Maybe, you know, not the best in the business. But I think that there's some people there that uh, Monaghan could play with. Yeah, by the way, Michael Backlund, he had two goals and assists against Colorado and a goal and two assists against Vancouver the game before that. So he's got six points in his last two games. Um, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know if you have a quick take on him. He also has been taking a lot of shots lately. Now that I'm looking at his his rate, uh, his game log here, he had five shots against Arizona four games ago, and he scored a goal in that game. So yeah, just recently he's been doing well. I'm trying to see why. Like, he's not exactly playing on the best line, playing with, oh, we're playing with Froelich and Matthew Kachuk, and we weren't giving Kachuk so much credit. Maybe we should have been giving Backlund credit right along with him in the last episode. Oh, I kind of regret it. Though I guess that Colorado game hadn't happened yet. Yeah. So what's the question you want to know about about Backlund? I mean, probably if we were doing an episode right now, I'd have in my hot streak section, I'd have Michael Backlund. I was like, Brian, should people be looking to add Michael Backlund right now over? And then I'd say a bunch of other guys we've talked about so far. (laughs) The same way you would if you were like, I added Versteeg in a league and the same way you would if you would add Brower. Backlund's a guy who's who's been capable for short bursts before. Like we know there is some offensive potential there. Uh, nothing that's going to be sustainably above a half point per game pace, though. So keep that in mind. Feel free to cycle him if you like what he's doing right now. And you should. Six points in his last two games. Great for him. Colorado and Vancouver, the opponents, Elon. I think you already alluded to that. So keep that in mind. But if you were cycling Troy Brower or Chris Versteeg at some point this season, then why not Mikhail Backlund? Yeah. And actually, I'd still hang on to Chris Versteeg actually. Me too. I have him on one of my teams right now and Backland is available. I'm not switching him. Okay. By the way, Brian, you always say, you said this before, but just, I just remembered I wanted to ask you. You say Ryan Johansson. You always get on me for pronunciations. I was so sure it was Ryan Johansson. Why are you uh, putting the J? It probably is. Am I, I think I go back and forth. Okay. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's Johansson. Okay. So. Ryan Johansson. How's okay. that? I bet John- that's like me hedging. There's like a really soft J if you're, if you're listening for it. Okay. Uh, Julian's last question. Any sign that Klingberg could steer his season back into fantasy satisfaction, which is a funny way to put it. Well, he's got four straight games with a point, four points in his last four. And that includes only one power play assist, which kind of is good. I think because it's nice that he could also get points to even strength. I know Brian, you always claim that. So a little bit better overall, still only 18 points in 34 games. So like just a little bit above a half point per game pace, but you know, he hasn't been kicked off that top power play and still he is, I still think he's going to be good enough that I would buy low at this point. Like it depends obviously how low you can buy. I'm not expecting him to be like a 55 point guy anymore. Like Dallas just doesn't, you know, they're not that offensive dynamo. You look at their game log even recently, you know, they have a 3-2 win, 3-2, 3-2 loss, 3-1 win, 2 nothing loss. They had a 6-2 win against Anaheim. These Anaheim goalies, oh man. Like they, Anaheim should be a good team. Their goalies are really letting them down. Maybe they shouldn't have traded Frederick Anderson. I don't know. Wonder. 
wonder what could have been. Anyway, yeah, they're like, yeah, Dallas isn't scoring a lot of goals. Like Ben and Sagan are doing fine, even though we did talk about how Ben was a bit below the pace we would have expected. But overall, they're just not that dynamic offensive team that's a risk to score five goals every day like i'm not afraid to start my goalies against dallas right now and so klingberg is hurting from that like brian do you think dallas is still going to be able to are they just having bad luck or something or is it just the fact that you know they have sharp who all of a sudden sucks like yuri hoodler all of a sudden sucks like there's not really much supporting cast there after ben sagan and jason spezza yeah and spezza was doing rough for a while except he's got i think a lot of points in his last few games six seven points, something like that. Um, they're, they're getting fewer shot attempts per game now. They're down five shot attempts per game. Um, they've tweaked something, and maybe they should because their Achilles heel last year was their goaltending and defense. And, you know, their, their goaltending is their last line of defense, and they should have worked harder to keep it from coming to that last line of defense. Interestingly enough, while uh, bouncing around some, some stats pages, I found that both... Dallas goalies are within the top 15 in even strength save percentage so far this year. I will knock on wood for all Dallas fans right now. Uh, you probably can't expect that to last. Antti Niemi is not a top 10 goalie in even strength save percentage, but he is right now. Um, you look at their expected goals for percentage, and it is just in the tank since, uh, I don't know, it, sharply since November, actually. Going into the season, it was a little poor. Um but now it's even worse. So uh, I so I, I think Klingberg is is suffering as a result. I think this is a team wide thing, and we know we talked about Jamie Ben's struggles recently. Um, yeah, you know, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think of how how this all uh, affects Klingberg, and I I guess what I'm looking for from him, uh, I'm happy if there's two shots on goal per game on average from him, and he's managed that over the last seven seven games. Elon, you said that it's a good thing for him to get points at even strength. For me, it's John Klingberg. I want him to be getting those last year he had 22 power play points. I want to see him get there. He's already got seven. So he actually, he, he's not that far off. Um, yeah. So what's the question? Is Klingberg going to bounce back? I don't know. The question is, is Dallas going to bounce back? Are they making some big changes uh, to their whole system that's resulting in less offense so far? Um, they're not managing as well as they did last year. You could say, well, they've had Sharp injured for a bunch, Hemsky injured for a bunch, and also if he's healthy, he was probably better last year. Did did a piece go missing from that team, Elon, in the offseason? Am I misremembering? Or like, I, feel like I don't know. Goligovsky, yeah. So, I, yeah, things are weird in Dallas. Like, they're weird in Nashville. I need to come up with a better descriptor, I guess. But as long as that lasts, I think you can't expect Klingberg to suddenly be able to bounce back personally. Yeah, you know, Dallas has, is 15, 14, and 7. So they have, you know, if you add those 14 and 7 together, that's 15 wins and 21 losses overall. So um, they're not, like, that good. I don't know. And their goaltending, their goaltending has actually been not bad lately. You know, like I said, there was a bunch of 3-2 wins and losses. So they got to get these goals. I don't know, Patrick Eves has obviously lost all of his value. We talked about how... Uh, Eves is probably like a snoozer now if you added him enjoying that stretch. And then we were saying, well, but now it's looking like he's back on the top line. Uh, I don't know if he still is, but he still hasn't been getting many points. That for sure. Brian, he was actually just uh, dropped in our joint league. And I don't think I have too much interest in adding him considering we'd have to drop someone like Yarmir Yager, who, by the way, is getting shut out currently. Toronto is beating Florida two to one. Uh, just something else about the stats from tonight. 
St. Louis scored two goals. It's two to one for St. Louis over Philadelphia. And Stinky has a power play assist. So <laughs> are we going to call him that for, for the rest of the year? Can we call he, him that if he scored? No, we'll call him that until he's no longer that. But it'll help if he's on the top power play with Tarasenko and Shattenkirk. It was Shattenkirk's goal assisted by Tarasenko and Steen. So I like that for him because it, it, even more so than these if I saw that he got an assist on a goal by Patrick Berglund and assisted also by David Perron I'd be like I don't care that doesn't help me but this I like I like to see him assisting on a power play goal that Tarasenko was also involved in okay Brian let's go to the next question uh I think it's a good one because I already queued up what I want to talk about oh yeah Justin Williams Sam asked Justin Williams as long as he's on the line with Kuznetsov and Ovechkin he is fantasy relevant I feel curious what keeping Carlson's short and long-term projections are for him so okay Evgeny or no we're talking about Justin Williams now so yeah on the last game he was with Ovi and Kuznetsov he's also off the top power plays he's on the second power play I'm seeing which is as good so right now their top power play in the last game was Backstrom Johansson Oshie and Ovechkin so curiously no Kuznetsov there but that's nothing new for him and actually I'm kind of like more interested to go and see what Kuznetsov has been doing lately just because you know we were so down on him and then we got excited about him saying oh no he's back but actually he only has one assist in his last four games it was in his most recent game so he's still not for sure back in the way that maybe we were hoping but okay the question is about Justin Williams overall on the season he has 13 points in 33 games so less than half point per game that's basically like nothing maybe the question was asked because he had a goal and assist in the last game against the Islanders and five shots on goals so that was a good game oh and he actually has been on a decent run lately so I don't think he was on the Ovechkin line all season right Brian I could bring up those yeah and so I can, I can tell you he wasn't he had four points in his first 23 games and he's done he, he's done a lot more since then, nine points in his last, I don't know, 10 games, I guess, is what, what the math comes out to. Uh, the thing, and you already keyed in on it, Elon, uh, he's spending time with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov. He spent some time on the power play, picked up four points on the power play, has nine even strength points so far this season. He spent 40% of his ice time, only 40% of his ice time this year, on the ice with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, but he's collected nearly 80% of those even strength points with him. He's collected seven of those nine points with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov. So uh, that's the key. If he's off that line, forget it. As long as it's working, though, I feel like if it's working for Kuznetsov, then it works. Uh, and then Backstrom and Oshie can work on taking care of uh, second-line scoring. So maybe Justin Williams is actually safe because it works for Kuznetsov. Um I feel like the Caps want him in a position to succeed. And this is me just reading into a couple news and notes here and speculating instead of going on, on the hard numbers. But I think if that first line works, then perhaps he stays there longer than we might, than we might have anticipated earlier this season. Do you remember Elon when Tom Wilson was in the top six in Washington? Right. Yes. Are you talking about, was that this season or last season? No, I that was talking... like, that was like a month ago, maybe oh. six weeks ago. Well, thankfully, he's has he even been on the team lately? If I'm looking at their last game, oh yeah, he was on Brett Brett Connolly and Jay Beagle's line. Then you have Burakovsky, who's totally disappeared in fantasy. He was like good last year, he was in the top six, but I guess he's been bumped by, I guess Justin Williams because it's Backstrom, Johansson, and Oshie has been line two, and then Kuznetsov, Ovechkin, and Justin Williams. So no room for Andre Burakovsky. Uh, also, by the way, Alex Ovechkin, the man himself who we're giving the credit for, for Justin Williams being relevant, he has seven points in his last seven games. 
you know, we didn't really talk about it that much on the podcast, but he was slow at the start of the year. He only has 26 points in 33 games overall. So if you subtract seven for both of those numbers, that was only 19 points in 27 games. Oh, no, I'm embarrassing myself. 26 games. So 19 points in 26, which isn't Ovechkin numbers, right? He has now, though, seven points in his last seven. Obviously, a lot of them are goals. Five of them are goals. So he's up to 16 goals in 33 games, which is great. That's almost a goal every two games, which would be an average of... 41 goals, which is actually still low for him, but hopefully he's going to get closer to his 50. So Ovechkin heating up plus Williams being on that line equals Williams being worth owning in fantasy. I'm not as confident as you are, Brian, that he's going to like stay on that line for sure. You know, and, and you didn't say for sure, but like you said, like you don't see a reason for them to move him. And I agree like for the short term, I don't see a reason for them to move him, but I, you know, I'm not like super confident that you're going to be holding him for the whole season if you add him, but who yeah. cares? I got him now. <laughs> Right he's a great there. cycle. Yeah, he's a great cycle into your lineup while he's on there. That's a really uh, thanks to Sam. Sam, thanks Sam for bringing that up. I feel I feel like I, we've definitely talked about him in the group. I don't know if he's made it onto an episode yet. So this this will have to do for now. Justin Williams working yeah. working well on the first line. I think he was dropped in my cupful league, and of course me as an idiot didn't uh, didn't go for him. And then instead today I added Nikita Zaitsev, who's doing nothing. Of course, ah. This this couple thing. I, I still I, I still want this Elon spinoff of keeping Carlson, where you just it's like your your one minute rant. The thing is, last year that would have been boring because I was amazing in all of my leagues, <laughs> and the only reason I lost the couple is because I used too many moves and then I couldn't do anything in the finals. Uh, no, Ian earned it, but okay. This year it's been tougher <laughs> for sure. This it's because the defensemen, I think. Okay, it's a because defensemen aren't as good as they used to be. I really went hard on my going big on defensemen this year, and and you can see we've already talked about Justin Falk and Oliver Ekman Larson and Chris Letang and all these defensemen that are burning me. Also, Brian in our league, which I guess I shouldn't complain about because I'm actually in first. So I don't know why that league is frustrating me, but I'm just annoyed that I grabbed P- Carey Price. I wanted Carlson, then like the pick before my pick. He got taken, and I was flustered. I just, just was so sure I would get him. It was, like, fifth overall. So I went with Carey Price just because I was excited about him. But he's not even, like, winning matchups for me. I could have added Brent Burns. I would be doing so much better if I had Brent Burns than Carey Price. I would have had some other goalie. I would have had... You would have You would have been higher than first place. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'd, I'd be in first place by more. I'd be more confident about my chances moving forward. Like, what if I ended up with Devin Dubnik? as my goal instead of Price. I'd be exactly the same in Nets, and I'd have Brent Burns instead of whatever defenseman. P.K. Subban, another one who I have, who's injured right now. Ugh, what did I do? Okay, let's move on. Next, pick one for the rest of the season from Ben. Gagne, Wenberg, Ryan Johansson. Okay, this is a fun one, because it's like three different... It's like, where, where do you want to take your risk? So you have Sam Gagne, who's doing amazing, but he's getting all of his points on the power play. So it's kind of like, do you want to like put all your eggs in the basket of someone who doesn't even play in the top six. But on the other hand, like if he keeps doing what he's doing, like why not? He's getting more goals than Wenberg, uh, more shots and power play points. If they count in your league, that's really great. But it seems like a precarious place to be getting all of your points. And you have Wenberg who's getting a million assists clearly has the most points of all of these guys. And you know, a lot of points in the power play as well, but he doesn't, doesn't shoot a lot. Then you have Ryan Johansson, who's the lowest of these guys, even though, like you said, Brian, he's still leading Nashville in points. But he's the one with the biggest pedigree and the one we would have expected to be the obvious choice. Like Wenberg and Gagne probably weren't even drafted in most leagues going into this season. And they're probably like the best free agent pickups that people have made at this point. Another guy, by the way, Gagne was picked up pretty... Anyway, okay, I'll stop whining. So I would say Johansson, but that seems like a very Brian move to make. (laughs) Like 
you know, but I think it's good sometimes to make a Brian move. I feel like Ryan Johansson is the guy who has the highest pedigree. We expected like a 70 point pace this year. He's a little bit below that, but I think he has the upside to do it. And Wenberg, Brian's already talked about like the high shooting percentages in Columbus and they're clearly for real. Like they're for real, a good team, but are they this good? I don't know. I'd just be a lot more comfortable if I had Ryan Johansson. That's fair. I think he would be the most comfortable choice. Like I, I think he's the most reliable. It's a funny list. Cause you have, a new blue jacket, a career blue jacket in Wenberg, and then an old blue jacket in Johansson. I would, yeah, I would take also Johansson. It is the Brian answer. It's really interesting, though, to see just how well these guys are doing on the power play in Columbus. The top three players in points per 60 minutes, Atkinson, Foligno, and Wenberg, Gagne and Warensky aren't far behind. Wenberg actually leads the NHL in power play assists, which is not often... Like, that's not a thing that you really expect a forward to do. I mean, it happens, but you're used to seeing defensemen uh, heading the top of that list. And second and third, Ristolainen and Hedman are both defensemen. Uh, And then you have Johansson, who's doing okay, doing better than he was at the start of the season. He's got a low IPP, which I didn't mention in our little rundown of him before. So that means that uh, maybe a few more points can come his way. I don't know. You know, I've been reading, there have been a lot of hot takes lately on whether or not Columbus is for real and taking a few different approaches. And the consensus seems to be that like they have made some real material improvements. And remember last year, Elon, there was so much hype about Columbus going into the year. They're the team to look out for. They're going to surprise everybody. And then they were just awful, awful. And so maybe all of that interest in what they were putting together last year just was uh, dormant for a year. And now it's, I don't know. I, I think it's okay to start getting reasonably high on Columbus and considering them like at least in the top half of the league, maybe not top five team. I still think some things are going their way uh, to an extent that we can't expect to continue, but they're, they're doing pretty well. And I'm a little less gun shy on Columbus players at this point after 30 games than I was after 10 or 15 games. The thing is you need like 70 games before skill can start outweighing luck like for skill to take over from random variants and that's actually i should credit um munib alam over at hockey graphs uh linked to an article that said that that i read i guess it was today or yesterday anyway uh so columbus is doing well i still want ryan johansson okay yeah like columbus don't forget also last year had horrible horrible goaltending from sergey bobrovsky for a while and you know then actually what was his name again Oh, the guy who came in and was so amazing. Kip, uh, Corpusalo came in and was like a yeah. really, and, and they did really well with Corpusalo. If you don't remember, like he, they had a good stretch with him. They weren't as horrible as they were. It was just like that time with Bobrovsky just blowing it for them. This year, Bobrovsky's been amazing. So I don't know what he did in the offseason or if the World Cup of Hockey helped give him a good training before he started. I don't know what it was, but that's obviously a big part of it. But obviously, also all these guys scoring. Okay. First of Wait, all, hang we, on. Hang on. Do you, can I just add in like one thing that we didn't mention with all these scoring, all these guys scoring and the power play success. Sergei Pabrowski has been a massive part of the Blue Jackets success, just as everybody was giving up on him as a long term keeper. Uh, he's definitely reestablishing himself as one of the better goalies in the league. Uh, whether he can sustain his current level is is yet to be seen. However, I think he's still an above league average goalie and uh, making a really great case for himself. I'd actually knocked him down a tier going into the season, but he's climbing his way back up. 
Yeah, I would be very interested at some point. Someone asked about it on the Facebook group. We've talked about maybe we'll do this at some point, or maybe you'll even do this in your interview you do, but a mid-season Schwarz-Goliesburg. I'd love to hear what the updated tiers are going into halfway through the season. So that's a good idea. Okay, a couple things from the chat room that I'm seeing. First of all, Matt Murray like is injured or something, or Pittsburgh has switched their goalie, but now Patty thinks she's Don't scare everyone. Don't scare everyone. We might not, we don't know the extent. This is, okay. that's too knee-jerk. All right, Pittsburgh has... Pulled Matt Murray and is playing Mark Andre Fleury right now. Patty though just uh, posted a quote from the Penguins Twitter saying, "Dear everyone, we don't know why the decision was made to switch goalies. We'll support whoever is in net and we'll post if we get an update." Which is funny. We'll support whoever is in net. No one cares about that. They want to know if Matt Murray's injured. So, I guess we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, I don't know. Breaking news. It's only breaking news for the people that are listening live, I guess, and they've already seen it in the chat room. Also, we had a question from Mike asking, hi, when are you planning to open the Cupful positions for inactive players? Okay, so here's the status with the Cupful, the Kevin Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantrax League. So uh, we've had a few teams that were reported as inactive recently, like I think four or five. And so I posted on the Facebook group asking if there's anyone who wants to take those teams. And like, it's amazing, but like 10, like over 10 people, 10, 12 people signed up. So I've just been going in order of sign up, which I know is, is, I guess, a little unfair, but like, how else am I supposed to decide? But yeah, so it was like whoever saw that message earlier. So I've already replaced two of the teams, two of them. I've got emails out and I was planning on replacing them today, like sending them the email saying, all right, I've waited long enough for you to respond. I'm just going to switch. One of them is someone who I already tried to replace before and he got mad at me, but this time I'm just going to do it. I don't care if he quits being a patron. Oh, he's probably listening to this now. <laughs> okay, just kidding. But like, you're not responding to my email. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> so anyways Elon, you get you get you're very passionate anytime we talk about the cupful anyone who's not managing their team it, it means a lot to you that everybody yeah. is active and working as hard as you to to make the league a full and active community well, it's frustrating like i know patty has uh, brought up a couple of times how it's frustrating for her that one of her competitors is playing an inactive team who then gets like an eight nothing win and then you know she's a really good like person in a good sport and and lets me know if she sees an inactive team so then i take over that team when i say take over a team i just like make sure they have their players dressed every every day and then patty like plays that team and has a much harder time so it's not fair so i think definitely next year i have a couple of ideas this year i thought i was going to be better than last year where we did nothing this year i sort of had a tattletale system in place i was like guys let me know when there's an active team and i'll be very quick to ask for replacements but uh, next year, I want to go a step further for sure. Number one, I want to put a checkbox on that sign-up form saying, if I decide to not manage my team anymore, I'm going to send Elon and Brian a message and let them know so that they can find a replacement. Like, I don't really appreciate... And I know, like, things happen in life. I don't mean... You know, because obviously the patrons are listening here. Like, I, it's just sort of, like, frustrating to me. Like, just let me know. I don't care. We have... I'm yeah, just saying, you clearly, we have lots of people who want to play. So if you don't want to manage your team anymore, it's, like, totally cool... Like, I'm not even annoyed in the slightest. Just let me know. I got, I got a replacement. No big deal. Yeah, also for next year, I'm thinking what I'm going to do is I'm going to name an official, like, sort of pseudo-commissioner for each league. Someone that whose job will be to, like, check every week and see if people are resetting their lives. I'm sure we could find one volunteer from each league. Or if not, maybe we could find someone who's even, like, just, like, go, and go through a, f- a couple of leagues. Uh, next year, I'm going to be even more proactive than this year. I would love it All to right. be a situation where anytime a team goes inactive, we replace Elon. them right away. I'm bored of this conversation. We have nine questions left. Okay, let's We've go. already been on for 75 minutes. How long do you want this patron cast to be? Sorry. Okay. I wanted let's to answer some question. All right. Let's go. You, for let's those go. of us with... Oh, I like this question. because Oh, Brendan. He had a, the first question. Okay. For those of us with goaltending issues, he's got Bishop, Vasilevsky, and Allen. Allen's good, right? I think he's, he's playing tomorrow. Uh, 
Any goaltenders that may be good trade targets for the second half? Bounce back candidates or sustainable first half studs? Brian, I have a list of potential goalies to go after for the second half. Do you want to go first or should I go into my list? You go first. Okay, so here are some goalies that I would say maybe you could buy low on or like I think, you know, okay, so it's sort of like a combination. You could either buy low, which means the goalie's not doing well now. So if I'm going to say going on, oh, that guy's not doing well, like that's the point. Or I could say, okay, so basically I'm thinking John Gibson on Anaheim has been pretty weak. And I think Anaheim's a good team. So maybe you could get him for a decent price. I'm not saying it's a guarantee that he'll be amazing, but you know, you could get him for cheap right now. And he he could be okay. I don't know if he's going to be better than like Jake Allen. So it depends obviously who you're dropping or who you're trading. Um, Mike Smith, I've already mentioned on Arizona, keeps doing well. I think he could do it. Like, I think he could continue to put up at least decent numbers, if not getting wins. So even if, uh, you know, he's doing well so far, I still think you could buy pretty low just because people are like, ah, Mike Smith. I don't know. But I think he could be like a nine, 18 920 goalie like he's been doing it now he was also really good at the end of last year so robin leonard we've already talked about people are down on him even though he's doing pretty well brian elliott we've talked about recently maybe you can still grab him as a free agent it looks like he's taking the job back on calgary there's varlamov who i just have to put there because he's been so bad that you can get him for peanuts right now and he's still like probably like pickard has done nothing to take that job okay i've actually got a lot on this list jimmy howard is someone who's injured right now so i'll bet you you could buy him for cheap and he's been so good when he's been playing obviously that's a big risk Cam Talbot maybe hasn't been that great, and I think that he'll be even better uh, moving forward. Uh, Jonathan Quick is a guy who's injured that you could get. Uh, UC Saros maybe pick up on free agency, because I do think that Nashville at some point would be smart to give him a chance. A couple more. Thomas Grice, uh, just because I think Halak might get traded. Uh, Schneider, because he's been so bad, obviously. Lundqvist, he, he had a bad stretch. Craig Anderson, because you know he keeps on leaving for his personal reasons, that people might be like sick of him. And I think he'll be around, especially if the Sens are making a playoff run, which is looking like they will be. I'm sure he'll be very valuable then. And then maybe Vasilevsky if Bishop gets traded, uh, even though he probably, you can't get, oh, that, that's my list. It's too long. A list. Sh- we should have framed this as who is not on your list for a bounce back, mm-hmm. Elon. I, I think the question, well, first off, let me comment on yours for a second. Uh, you said Mike Smith. He put, Arizona is not a good team. So uh, if you need a warm body in net and a guy like Elon, I think 920 is asking for a bit much from Mike what Smith. You, he's shown he's shown that he could be good. Would you like to tell me or is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> I'll take a look while you while you finish talking. If you want to if you want to be smart about it, you better have the number ready. I just I think it's a risky play. Um, we've seen him go for great stretches. We've seen him go for poor stretches. Uh, and the other one I wanted to comment on uh was Craig Anderson we know he's not going to play any games for the Sens until I thought I saw something that said well into January at this point so maybe you could buy low but I also think I mean clearly uh family has been made the priority for him so I don't know that that would make me feel comfortable for my fantasy team to be counting on him uh so I tried to look at this I don't know I don't know who's going to bounce back I looked at the guys who can who might seem to be the most appealing by low candidates. Uh, Corey Schneider, we've talked about him enough, uh, talking about how he's struggling along with the New Jersey defense. Uh, Semyon Varlamov, Elon, I'm with you there. Uh, I don't think he's nearly as bad as he's been. I think the Avs are bad, and I think he can be a really bad goalie for some stretches. I think he can be better. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, I think he can be better if he gets a shot or gets traded, except I don't think he will. So maybe that's a, a weird choice to make. Or unless Matt, Murray's, unless Matt Murray's injured right now. Or unless Matt Murray's injured <laughs> right now. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist, 
as somebody who's a 915 so far this year, he can do better. And like, if you had any concern that anti Ranta is going to take over the starting job, I don't think it's going to happen. Again, we've been warning all season long about inconsistency from Lungfist. That's what you need to be careful of if you are going to get him. Elon, I'm loving the bottle sounds. I feel like I'm in a real happening spot right now. Who he was drinking with me? I saw Matthew. Was it Matthew that posted in the Facebook group that he bought some Red Stripe? You have it with you? I hope it's Matthew. I hope I got the right guy. Matthew. Matthew. I'm going to keep going down my list. Uh, ben Bishop, okay. I think he can do better than he has been. And then Brian Elliott, I have on my list too, is a really low penalty kill save percentage. So that's a place where he can bounce back. The question is how far can he bounce back? Like last year's, what was it, 922 or 926 or whatever it was in St. Louis was really great. I don't, that was also one of his best seasons there. And outside of St. Louis, he's never been above league average on a consistent basis. So I think if you're looking for a bounce back as somebody who's just like a competent goalie that you can throw in and he can get a couple good starts here and there, maybe like Mike Smith, who gets in the net, except I think Calgary is a little better than Arizona. Uh, Maybe he's somebody you look at targeting, but that's a really risky play with Chad Johnson doing as well as he is. And I actually saw a Flames blog today talk about what would be a reasonable extension for Chad Johnson. So it looks like Flames fans might start to be looking at their future with Johnson rather than with Elliot. Wait, was that article posted today or is that an article from like two weeks ago? Today. Oh, well, I mean, Johnson has to play a game where he doesn't let in four goals first, (laughs) which he hasn't been able to do for like four or five games in a row now. And I checked, he hasn't had a win since December 10th. So, you know, I think Johnson should have signed that extension a couple weeks ago. That would have probably been good for him. Now he's going to have to earn it again. Okay, Brian, Mike Smith, last year overall, not like amazing, but not horrible. He had a 916 average, but after he came back from his injury, he had a 956 in March and a 925 in April. So he ended the season strong, and now he started this season strong. So I'm just saying, if the Mike Smith owner is like Brian and doesn't have much faith in him and says that Arizona's a bad team, I'll tell you what, Brian, I'd rather have Mike Smith than Brian Elliott because I think he's going to put up better numbers, even if he doesn't get as many wins. So there you go. Cool. Next. Next. All right. What do we got here? Paul. Uh, Paul wants us to rank Galchenyuk, Landeskog, and Hoffman for the rest of the season. You asked him for his scoring format because that matters. And also, like, is it cumulative? Because that takes a lot of points away from Galchenyuk. Uh, if they're all playing and well, healthy. I mean, he's not he's- asking whether or not you're, like, including points from before. Or you're saying, oh, because, like, Galchenyuk's injured now. I'm assuming he's, he's saying when they're healthy. Okay, so when they're healthy, I'll rank Galchenyuk, Hoffman, and then Landeskog. Landeskog's on the avalanche, and that's enough of a reason to stay away from pretty much anybody right now. It's so sad. They have such a decent core. Um, I saw a tweet today. I can't remember the source, but I think I deemed it legitimate uh, about the Avs saying that they're... Or it was Sakic. Sakic saying that they needed to change the culture of the team and that uh, someone uh, was thinking that... Nathan McKinnon's safe, but anybody else, including Landis Scott, could go, which is crazy. The guy you named captain for your franchise when he was like 19 or 20 or however old he was, um, they're just ready to, to cut ties, which shows you where the abs are there. Mm-hmm. Duchesne, they've been trying to trade forever. So Galchenyuk, then Hoffman, and then like a bit of a gap, and then Landis Gog. Yeah, well, okay, by the way, Landis Gog scored two goals yesterday, so we anti-jinxed him. Of course, it was against Calgary and, and Brian Elliott, but it's at four shots on goal. He also played 23 minutes. Like, I think that must be one of his highest of the season, also on the top power play. So we were lamenting how he was not even on a good line and not on the top power play. That's clearly changed. Maybe he has a bounce back. And the thing is, with 
Paul's scoring, there's 0.3 for a hit, and Landeskog gets a lot more hits. Like Landeskog actually was tied with Hoffman for 3.8 overall points last year with his scoring, and and then Galchenyuk at 3.5. So last year Landeskog would have been among the top. So I don't think it's that straightforward. Obviously this year Landeskog is way down, but I would take Hoffman, and the reason is because according to your scoring. Five points for a goal, only two points for an assist. Mike Hoffman scores a lot of goals, and you've got 0.25 for a shot on goal. So Hoffman, he's there for you. He's he's doing really well. He's shooting a lot. He's scoring the most goals of these guys. So you might as well go with him. Okay. And if, you're, I, if, you're, if your league rewards shots, Mike Hoffman is amazing. Okay, Patty. Brock Nelson. Yeah, I was thinking this recently, too. We never really talk about him, but he's had a pretty decent season. He, she's saying, I always want to drop him, but he consistently outperforms stars on my team like Bobby Ryan. So who do you want between Brock Nelson and Bobby Ryan? The thing with Brock Nelson is he's not on that top line with Tavares. So who does he end up with? Like overall in the season, he has 19 points in 34 games, which is like very solid for a guy who's probably a free agent in a lot of leagues. 19 out of 34, that's a 46-point pace. And if you look just like recently, he actually hasn't done anything in the past five games. So maybe now, Patty, you're starting to think you might want to drop him. Before that, he was on a really nice point streak. He was looking at who was getting points in almost every game. If you look at the, like we've already talked about the Islanders and how they don't score much and only the Tavares line is scoring. And it's like only John Tavares not getting points on that line. Cal Clutterbuck, by the way, getting a surprising number of points. I picked him up in one league just for his hits and I just haven't been able to drop him because he's still getting the hits. And also um, like getting a, a point every once in a while. But okay, who has, um, who are we talking about Brock Nelson playing with Shane Prince and Anthony Beauvillier in the last game and he wasn't on the top power play. So that's why I wouldn't get too excited about Brock Nelson and why we haven't brought him up on the show so far this season, I guess. If he ever gets back to that top line, we'll definitely bring him up, and then I'd be a lot more excited about him. There's a reason why he's pointless recently, and it's because he's clearly not on a good line. That essentially boils down why I prefer Bobby Ryan, even with a nice little run from Brock Nelson. Um, Brock Nelson doesn't have his greatest shot at being a 50, 55-point guy as Bobby Ryan does, and a lot of that is deployment. So I'm with Bobby Ryan. But don't drop Brock Nelson until he stops producing. If Bobby Ryan's available this whole time, then then no need to rush, right? Well, now Brock Nelson has stopped producing and he's on a bad line. So if you still have him, Patty, I say pull the trigger. Drop him. Let us know Snoozer. who you're going to drop him for. Snoozer alert. Brock Nelson's a guy, by the way, remember, like I think it was last season or maybe the year before, he had such a hot start. Everyone wanted to add him. I was very proud of you, Brian. You were very much like a staunch Brock Nelson is going to suck. And then he did. So that was that was one of your good ones. Few and I, like and, I, and I liked him a lot when he was coming up. I wasn't saying like hold off, don't believe. I, I really liked what was happening for him during that stretch. If I remember correctly, uh, anyone can feel free to to go back to the episode and and see if I was actually if I'm telling the truth now. I could say anything about what I said before. I knew Columbus was going to be this good. It's all on record. All the episodes are available on iTunes or from our RSS feed. So you could go and check. If anyone wants to go and fact check everything Brian has said. Uh, Patty says done. She did it. Who did you drop him for? I'll be curious to know. Is it Bobby Ryan? Let us know here in the chat. Okay, let's go to the next question. Anze Kopitar, why is he always good in the second half? And maybe the question that's not asked there, the unasked question. Oh, this is Brady who's asking is, why is he so bad in the first half? So, so far, he only has 16 points in 29 games, which is getting, you know, kind of ridiculous at this point, right? Only one assist in his last six games. But, you know, we just look at his history. And last year, if you look at the splits before and after the, like in October, he had, okay, I've got it up here. In October, he had three points in 10, then 10 and 13, then 15 and 14. He started heating up by December. So this year is even worse than last year. Like, Brian, are we still confident that Kopitar is going to heat up? 
like Toffoli is injured now, by the way. And I saw recently that they're going to be putting Gabrick with uh, Dustin Brown and Kopitar, which is the, you know, his old running mates, the guys he's been doing well with. That's who he did well with at the end of last season. So everything might be in place for him to do well again. But at, at what point do we start thinking maybe it's not going to happen this year? I don't know that we're at that point. I think line mates are important. His on ice shooting percentage is down. Uh, and, you know, some of that is due to variance, but some of that might also just be uh, he's not playing with as good players. If you look at who he got to play with last year, he spent most of his time with Milan Lucic and Dustin Brown. Okay, so that's okay. Uh, slash Gabrick. Gabrick was also equal time. And this year, uh, without Lucic, he's spent most of his time with Trevor Lewis and Dwight King, which would be a recipe for somebody not succeeding or not be like who who could put up 70, 80 point pace with those two players. So uh, we've seen the last two years and Enze Kopitar really does get going in the second half. I think you need to watch his line mates. If you're really, if you're counting on it as a given, you need to pay attention to the Kings roster and know that Lucic isn't there anymore and see it, you know, is he playing with Gabrick? And if he is, is Gabrick doing any good while they're playing together? I actually picked up Kopitar in a couple of my draft leagues tonight. So I, I I'm into him still being a productive player, but I think Jeff Carter is the one that you really should be counting on to produce as an LA centerman. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it's hard to have so much faith. And the thing with Carter now is he's lost Tyler Toffoli. So who's he even playing with tonight? It's going to be these types of guys that you were just mentioning that are very hard to get points with. So I wonder if at some point, Jeff, if, man, could you imagine if Kopitar got bumped from the top line and it was Jeff Carter there? I guess they're both on the top power play still. I'm still willing to wait it out a bit longer for Kopitar, but he's on watch, right? Like if we get halfway through January and he still hasn't picked it up, at, at some point you have to start wondering, but he's still always the top line and top power play. As long as he's there, you can't just drop him. But I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to be saying you have to buy low at this point because he's a guaranteed 70-point pace moving forward. Maybe losing Lucic is, is a deal of some, of some status. Okay. <laughs> Let's well, last year, last year, I just want to say for anyone who thinks like he's exclusively a second half player, last year he was like point per game through most of the year. And then two years ago, uh, he started picking it up in December and was good from there. So, uh, yeah, I, I think if he's not going by January and he's still not playing with good line mates, then it is something that Kopitar owners might, you might still, you might want to poke around and see what you might be able to get in return for him. It sounds crazy because he's proven so many people wrong who have given up on him before. But I don't know if he's ever really lasted this long doing this poorly. Elon, what are, do we, have we even said his numbers for the year? I did say it was like almost a half point per game or like yeah, around there. Okay. Three, three goals, 13 assists for 16 points in 29 games, 61 shots, which is, uh, yeah, that puts him roughly on pace for what he's done in the last couple of years. Okay, we're getting lots of good updates in the chat here about what is ailing Matt Murray. And it's not something you want to know about if you're eating. So let's just not comment there. But it doesn't sound like it's serious, like a serious injury anyways. So that's good. Uh, is Die Hard a Christmas movie from Dave? Well, you know what? I'm not one of these guys that like is into Christmas movies for maybe obvious reasons. But they don't talk about Christmas very much. There's no message at the end where they're like, the whole point of Christmas is giving. And that's the true meaning of Christmas. Um, I guess he like hangs out with his wife at the end. So I'll say no, I don't think so. Is there a tree even? I guess like it's an office Christmas party. I have to rewatch that movie, I guess. Which one? Office Christmas party? (laughs) No. (laughs) 
I actually, I didn't, I don't, I never, I don't know. I think I've probably seen Die Hard on television at some point. I don't, you know what a great Christmas movie is though, that I watched this year, Arthur Christmas. Oh God. Have you heard of it? Arthur the cartoon, like for kids? No, 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 <laughs> no. It's like, a, it's not like, I don't think it's, it's not Pixar, but it's like an, computer animated, like Toy Story. What's the word for that? It's an animated. Live action? Live, no, live action is when it's not that. Okay. This is not our area of expertise right now. Okay. Uh, so we don't talk a lot about movies. Arthur Christmas uh, was awesome. It was very funny. A lot of good jokes okay. in it. And okay. and I'm going <laughs> to... Hang on. It was, it was. I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you. Well, I have a cooler cooler suggestion after that. Okay. Let me get to it after you're done uh, ripping me apart for something I just said. No, I think it's just funny if you're talking, since we don't talk about movies much, we might be getting together for New Year's. And uh, Brian was saying (laughs) that he he invited my wife and I to come join him uh, to go to the movies on Christmas or New Year's Eve. And then I asked him what movie and it's like some French movie. And I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not even listed on Rotten Tomatoes. That's how obscure and hipster Brian is with his movie choices. It's, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a cinema. I'm going to call it that just to get under your skin. There's, a, there's one in town that I, I trust. It's an independent one. And it's a, it's a great... Uh, they, always, they always pick well. Last what, year, they the showed... The um, uh, I think it's called Radin. It's like, I think it's a guy's name. It's about a guy who's really cheap. It's funny. The trailer is good. Okay, but what was the, the, I wanted to be cool. And then, so I sounded dumb and then I sounded too cool. But now I just want to sound cool. On Netflix, there's a, a, a moody Christmas, it's called. I think it's Australian. And I watched this, it's like a six episode series. And it was awesome. So you you could watch that if you're looking for a Christmas not movie. I don't I know about Die of, Hard, so I, I got to talk about this other stuff. I think a lot of people are mad at us for just not saying Die Hard's the best Christmas movie. I mean, Die Hard's a good movie. I think we're risking our, our we're putting our necks out there by being acclaimed non-Die Hard knowers. I've definitely seen it on TV at some point in my I life. I saw that. I saw the new Star Wars movie. Do you guys want me to spoil that for you? Okay, let's let's see. a lot of action. Maybe that that's the problem. I actually thought it was too much action, not enough story in the new Star Wars movie. So maybe that's why I'm not the kind of guy to ask about Die Hard. So, okay, let's talk about hockey. Ronnie, who's looking like a buyer seller at this point for the trade deadline for sellers? Who do you think should be prepared to see get moved? So I guess we're talking about now teams and teams that are going to do badly and then sell uh, their players at the trade deadline. So I, I looked really quickly. The worst teams right now. In the East are Toronto, the Islanders, Buffalo, who all, by the way, like Brian said, still could potentially challenge for the playoffs. Then Detroit and New Jersey, just really bad. And then in the West, Vancouver, Arizona, Colorado are like especially bad. And so I guess the obvious sellers are the ones that we've been talking about forever are like Bishop and Fleury and Jimmy Howard are like, oh, will they get traded because they're going to otherwise be open to go to Las Vegas next year? Andre Pavlik is still around. I don't know if he'll end up getting back. I I heard that he wasn't doing so well in the AHL. Someone posted that on the Facebook group at some point. There's a whole Johnson Elliott situation in Calgary. I wonder if one of them just ends up getting traded. Eh, Probably not. Ryan Miller is going to be a free agent in a couple of years or this year, maybe. So anyways, free agents this summer that I think are interesting. You know how that's what happens, right? It's a team that's not doing well. They trade a guy who's going to be an unrestricted free agent going into season. They want to get something for him. So here are some unrestricted free agents on bad teams. Iginla, Michael Stone. Shane Doan, Martin Hansel, so a bunch of Arizona guys. 
Brendan Smith. I don't know, Brian, you brought him up on the last podcast. Defenseman on Detroit. Brian Gionta. These are like, I don't even know if these aren't like Parento. Verbata is one. So maybe Verbata could be a guy who could get moved and maybe that would be good for him. But he's doing fine how he is. That's not the best I got. I don't really have exciting names aside from the goalies. It's interesting. I'm looking at like the Eastern Conference to see who's going to miss the playoffs and is also uh, has pieces to sell, like is going into a rebuild. I don't know who's there. Like you have Toronto right now who is not going to sell any prime pieces, although maybe they sell Roman Polak again. I don't know. I think it's too too early to look into buyers and sellers for me and how it might impact. I remember last year, I I feel like we saw Yuri Hoodler. Um, We saw that happening from a little bit away. I think Vancouver, actually, they're going to be a buyer according to Vancouver (laughs) management. So I don't know about them. Ottawa is probably going to be a buyer because of Ottawa management. It's going to be weird. I, you might look at Colorado as a team that's ready to sell, um, and other teams can probably handily take advantage of if any of their recent decisions mm-hmm. uh, you know, come into play as, as ways we should judge their front office competence. Yeah, okay. I guess we have to get into hurry-up mode here. Chris, by the way, in the chat, he could see Cam Fowler getting moved for another top six forward. So there is that, a team just like trading a defense for a forward, nothing to do with free agency, um, maybe. And they definitely have... They, Shea Theodore has been back on the top power play recently, by the way, guys. Okay, Victor, could you guys touch on Trocek? He's killing me as my third center behind Thornton and Tourists, And he gives a bunch of stats. It looks like pretty standard stats. Uh, I wish my league counted blocks and face-off wins, but it doesn't. It's a head-to-head league. And he's kept it since last year, and he was awesome. Anyways, I asked him how many acquisitions he has, and he has unlimited, so he can do anything he wants. Available free agents at center are Backlund, Letestu, Horvat, Zajac, Placanitz, Stasny, Dubinsky, Henrique. So, compared I like to those- a lot of those guys. Like, I, I like, actually, I'm going to, you went really fast, and I'm not sure I could catch all those names, but uh, Stasny, uh, isn't he back on a good line or something, or something? I read some good tidbit about him, but. Adam Henrique. He's back playing. He's back playing today. He was injured before. Oh, so that must have been it. Adam Henrique uh, is somebody that I tried to pick up in the cupful a week or two ago, and I got outbid. And then he was recently dropped, and I added him. He scored a goal. I, I'm liking. Uh, I'm liking what he's doing. I feel like a few of those guys might be more worth your while than Trocheck, at least until Huberto returns. I think this is a depth issue. Well, it's a mix of two things. It's a depth issue in Florida. Um, with Huberdeau out and, you know, everybody's saying that's the reason for everything. And maybe you see Okanen being another year older and not being so great himself. Also, there's going to be regression. Last year, Trocek shot uh, double his career shooting percentage at even strength. Um, there's still reason to think like he's better than he's shown so far this year. I think like some of that will adjust automatically, but it's also going to help when the Panthers are entirely healthy so I, I I don't know. I feel like in the short term, there's no, unless like there's some reason I'm not tapping into, I might prefer someone like Adam Henrique or just cycling. Like Mark Letestu can get you some power play points for as long as he's in that role. I guess. I don't know. Brian, if it was me, I think I might hold Trocek a little longer. I think he still has a lot of upside or at least some upside compared to these other guys. Like I guess Adam Henry, you could, it's like up to you. You could turn the spot into a cycle spot. And then if it turns out that Trocek, Trocek, by the way, scored a goal today. And he, it looks like he assisted, according to ESPN, he assisted on Marcheseau's goal. But then I'm seeing on fan tracks, they're only showing him as one goal. So I'm not sure. Like, Trocek having a good game today, finally. And he was really good last year. And he still is in the top six. And he has four right. shots. Actually, if you look at Trocek's game log, uh, he has four shots today. Four shots the last game. Seven shots the game before that. Four the game before that. He had six shots a couple games before that. He's taking a lot of shots. I don't know. I think, hold on. Like, there's no one too exciting there to me. Like, Brian brings up guys that could be relevant for sure like Henrik and Stasny like sure 
But uh, I'd, I'd keep Trocek for now for a little while. What do you have to lose anyways? You just referenced how he was good last year. After I finished saying last year, what he did is not something that you can expect him to keep doing. Those shot counts actually are really impressive. In uh, I'm trying to count this up quickly. In six of his last 10, six of his last nine, he's had four or more shots on goal, which is amazing. And that's not something we're used to seeing from him. His shot rates are up a little bit. This year, they're not up wildly. Um, so I guess all that is just evening out with what he was doing earlier in the season. But last year, uh, he had 25 goals on 174 shots. She shot 15%. Uh, he was used to shooting 8% the year before at even strength and close to 8% the year before that at even strength. So you take, I don't know, take five, even five, be generous and take five of those goals away. And he's sub 50 points in a year that he was really good. So I see him as more of a 45, 50 point guy where I see the other guys as having a little more chance of of peaking up above that 50 point mark. But it is really nice that uh, he is putting shots on goal for you. So if you have him and your league count shots on goal, that's at least reason to keep riding it out for a little while longer. Riley Smith also injured worth noting. Yeah, uh, and Marshall was on the third line today, but he has a goal and assist. I was thinking of finally dropping him, Brian, in our league where we're against each other, but now he has a goal and assist today, so I don't know. I guess I have to hold on. Uh, I was going to also say with, like, I guess it also depends in terms of strategy. Like, if this is your bottom guy, like your bottom guy in your whole team, it's probably worth cycling because you could get a lot of value from having a cycle spot and getting a couple extra games every week. But, you know, if, if you still have even other good players or other players that you could cycle out instead to maybe get a Paul Stasny or something, then I think I'd hold on to Trocek longer. But I guess if he's your bottom guy, I, I do kind of think Stasny also has some upside. Stasny's just sort of like, you could just wait until he gets a point. No one's going to pick him up until he starts doing something. And then he some, seems to score in stretches. So maybe then you could consider making the drop. But obviously now Chochuk has a goal and assist. You're not going to drop him today. But, you know, we could keep him on our radar for a little bit longer. Okay, Victor, can you discuss this goalie handcuff strategy? Okay, he's saying that he has Johnson. But why would I want Elliot if there is another goalie who is a regular starter like Miller? Or Con- okay, I, this is a good question. And we talk about this. We've talked about this before, I think. Or I've questioned this. Yeah, like there's no point of having the handcuff just for the sake he's saying why not take a guy who's going to be a for sure number one rather than have two guys and like yeah definitely i think you want to maximize your number of games you're going to get and especially if you could get like quality games and yeah i think people overrate the handcuffing strategy they go out of their way to handcuff when they don't need to like let's say if they have uh vasilevsky and they want to trade away someone good like a for sure starter like a, a leonard or well, i guess it's not really a fair comparison you know let's say like a leonard for bishop when you're like giving away a starter for a guy who's only gonna get half the games just so you could have a handcuff i agree that's not a smart move sometimes though if you already have one of them like brian you had chad johnson and there's not many other good goalies available, you might as well get Brian Elliott just so you're safe. You're going to have the goalie either way. And you kind of hope, I think for me at least, with a handcuff strategy, you're hoping that you're going to end up with, like one of them's going to take the job and you'll like, you have clinched it or you've called dibs where you're going to have the one who takes the job and then you can drop the other one. That's the best case scenario, I think, for a handcuff strategy. Murray Flurry, uh, Patty saying is the only handcuff that's worth it. But I think also when you have Murray Flurry, I would hope if I was the owner of them, I'd hope that one of them earns the job. The other becomes a backup so I could drop one. But if not, you still have, I guess, two good goalies. Yeah, if you're rolling with a handcuff, the hope is that one of the goalies wins the job outright so you can use that other roster spot more efficiently. In the cupful, I have the Dallas handcuff, um, which is working out all right for me. I'd, I'd rather just carry one goalie, except there is no other starting goalie available. And even while, you know, Niemi gets three starts in a row and then Lightning gets four, I can't drop them and cycle in between because I I risk putting myself in a really tough position if I only have half that tandem. Same thing with Johnson and Elliott. 
Uh, my goaltending situation was really poor and I couldn't risk not having starts. So I needed to guarantee myself starts. And that was the only way to do it. I, I don't think handcuffs are an efficient way to, to uh, use roster space. I've always had a habit of doing it for a long time. Just I, I think from some early fantasy experiences where I had a goalie and I thought I was all set for the year. Then he got injured and I wasn't quick enough to go grab his backup. Um, so that's a situation where not having the handcuff can hurt you. But generally, you don't need to do that. You can figure out your starts other ways if your main guy gets injured. Yeah. Um, and it depends on it depends on the stats too. Like Ryan Miller in the cupful is not a very handy goalie to have. We we value goalies who play on winning teams, who play well frequently. And Ryan Miller doesn't really tick any of those boxes, whereas it seems like Chad Johnson and Brian Elliott could tick more of them if one of them, you know, comes out and becomes the starter. Yeah, I think in your situation, Victor, like I definitely don't think you need to hold on to Chad Johnson. If anything, I would just drop Johnson for Elliott or Mike Smith, who we've talked about before. And, you know, you maybe only need one or like I wouldn't drop Johnson for or I wouldn't drop someone else for Elliott to get the handcuff. I'd rather you just have Elliott and Smith, let's say right now, if you want to have two goalies with those spots rather than Johnson and Elliott. Since right now, Elliott, if Elliott's available, that means clearly people in your league don't value goalies too highly. So you might as well take the one that's been getting the starts lately and you could always grab Chad Johnson back later or you'd think so. And if not, you have Mike Smith. It's not, not that much worse. I know Brian maybe thinks he is. Okay, we got to. Pick this up. Brad, Corey Perry is out the top power play, top line, playing 14, 15 minutes of ice time a game. Yeah, Corey Perry was bumped. It's uh, Ryan Kessler. Or who, who's who been? Oh, yeah, Ricard Raquel dropped, bumped. Oh, no. It's Perry, no. Getzlaff, and Raquel on the top line. But Perry was dropped, was bumped by Raquel for the top power play, which wasn't, you know, didn't seem very good about him. And we talked about that on the podcast. Um, like, how badly has that hurt Perry's value? Brian, you already called it going into the season that you expected a drop from him. So far, he has 27 points in 36 games, which isn't horrible, but it's not like crazy good Corey Perry numbers. And I'm seeing only one assist in the last few games, but also Anaheim hasn't been scoring many goals in those games. The shot counts are definitely a bit down, like two and three shots a game, which is not horrible, but not, you know, what we would have expected from him before. I don't know. Like, I think you're right. I think we're starting to see a downturn. Definitely him being off the top power play isn't great, but I think he'll probably get back on it at some point. I think it's just Anaheim trying to spread it around two power plays, especially since they have all these good defensemen for power plays. They have Shea Theodore on the top one, then they could put like Vatnin on the second one. So they're spreading it around a bit. Where are you grabbing these line combos from? Because I am I saw an updated line combination uh, earlier today and it looked, or on the power play, the Shea Theodore wasn't on either unit and uh, the top unit definitely looks like power play one. Like I, I don't know. Where are you seeing this? Where are you seeing this? Uh, over at Daily Faceoff. Yeah, so I'm looking just at yesterday's game. So the top okay. power play was Getzlaff, Kessler, and Raquel, and then on defense it was Cam Fowler and Shea Theodore. Okay, but but since then they were they're uh, apparently they were shuffled, and right. so you've got Raquel with Vermette and Perry uh, at even strength. Getzlaff with Richie and Andre Case or Cassie. And then Kessler, Silverberg, Cogliano. It's, I don't know. It's a weird, weird times in Anaheim. Uh, Perry himself, like 27 points in, what is it, Elon? 36 games or 33? In 36, 27 and 36. Yeah. I mean, that, that's not bad. And his shooting percentage is a little lower. Uh, his shooting rates, though, are, are certainly still in decline for the fourth consecutive year. And I think it's best for him to play with Getzlaff. So that doesn't seem to be happening. Like, I don't think Antoine Vermette can be as good a centerman for Corey Perry if that lasts as long. And it's not good for him to be off that top power play unit 
so the question was just what's up with Corey Perry? Overall, this is about as good as I think you could have expected from him coming into the year. But then if this deployment continues, uh, we haven't actually seen it happen in a game. So it's hard to really buy into it too much. But if this is the way it shakes out, uh, then you might want to try and get out from under him sooner rather than later, if you can. Yeah, I mean, Anaheim's been losing lately, and I think a lot of it has to do with their goaltending, but obviously they have to shake something up. So we'll see how it goes. They were riding high for a while with Raquel, Perry, and Getzlaff, and then I guess they've been cold. Raquel, unfortunately, is like pointless in three or four games now. So he's slowing down, but the whole team is slowing down. And so Carlisle has to shake things up. Patty's saying Carlisle is a moron. So we'll find out if this shakeup does anything to help. Uh, but yeah, Corey Perry right now, it's basically like a 60 point pace. Maybe you could expect him to bounce back up to like a 65. Anything more than that, I think is a lot to expect. And like Brian says, maybe this is kind of what you should expect at this point. Okay, Jacob, I'm way ahead in one of my leagues and he has only two IR spots and they're already filled with Galchenyuk and Falk. And he could add Huberto and it would be a dead spot, but he's so far ahead in the league that then he'd have Huberto for the playoffs. So I guess obviously my next question would be, who are you dropping to add Huberto? And like how much valuable, how much more valuable is Huberto over the available free agents? We've talked about how Florida, you know, maybe overachieved last year and maybe Huberto isn't as amazing as you may think he is. And also I'd want to know how long do you think you could wait on this? Like if Huberto is available now, who's to say he won't be available still in a couple of weeks because he apparently won't be back until February. So I think maybe you have nothing to lose if you're already in first, but also maybe you could ride someone else who might end up having as much potential. So I think it really depends on who you're dropping. And if it's someone that can at least maybe approach Huberto's potential, if you have maybe a guy who could get 55 points and Huberto's more of a 60 point guy, then maybe it's not worth making the swap right now. But I don't know. It kind of really is situation dependent, I think. Yeah. Well, his next question is, what do you think of Tyler Johnson moving forward? Worth a free agent pickup. So, you know, in his situation, do you pick up Huberto or Tyler Johnson? Tyler Johnson, just so frustrating all season long. I think once Huberto's back, I'd probably want to have Huberto. Um, Even though we did say that the triplets line was the triplets line was back together today. And Tyler Johnson got in on a goal. What was it? It was Johnson scored from Kucherov and Palat. So maybe at this point, maybe I'd rather grab Tyler Johnson for now. Maybe wait on Huberto. I don't know. If you can, if it's the same league and Huberto is in free agency, I don't know if you need to grab him now, but if you are way ahead and you can, you know, take the hit, I think Huberto might be the better guy to have later on. And of course, uh, check playoff schedules, not just how many times teams are playing, but how many games you're going to get out of each player that's on your roster. Um, Tyler Johnson, uh, Jacob asked, he, he said some of the other options, Spooner, Latestu, Lee, Shiri, Zucker, Verbata, Kachuk. Uh, I would put Verbata and maybe Shiri, who's got another point tonight, um, up there on the same level, like of consideration as Tyler Johnson. Verbata, I expected to slow down just as he heated back up again. So I, I don't know what to say about him other than it's been a really great season. I might prefer him for his winger eligibility, if that helps you any um I I don't know I'm sort of I'm over Tyler Johnson he's been not very good for long enough for me to want him to show me something before I'm ready to to pick him up for his upside I still think he's a very good player I think he can be a very good player in the right situation somehow even with Stamkos out though he hasn't been able to step up into that if he pull out in Kucherov uh, stay together for another few games and things start clicking again that's a reason to be excited Otherwise, I would probably prefer Verbata and yeah, maybe even Shiri. Maybe I'm not giving Johnson enough credit. I think I share the same sentiment with a lot of pulleys who are just sort of tired of him. Yeah, I think right now I would add him because he's playing with Kucherov. 
and he got a goal today. And but I would have him on a short leash. I also think Andersley is uh, deserves to be in that conversation. Also, Spooner, he's on a really nice roll lately. He's back in the top six and on the top power play, like, like we talked about on the last podcast. So I think don't sell him short. You were very high on him going into the season, Brian. I remember there was a tweet. I don't remember who was the player. It was like Spooner or someone, and then you responded with just a picture of a guy holding a spoon, and it was really funny. And then it turned out to be like horrible, like for the guy, like the other player was really good, and Spooner was like ridiculously bad. But now Spooner's looking good. So I don't know. I think these players are all pretty similar in Johnson, Spooner, Shiri, and Verbata, like you're saying. But I also think that Johnson still has the most upside since he did at one point get that 70 points and he is currently playing with Kucherov. So I'd add him now over those guys. Okay, Thomas, any chance Halak turns it around or drop him? So he went for a stretch where he didn't even play. Like they were going with that third goalie who everyone always forgets that's even on the Islanders. And then they went to Grice, but then they went to Halak recently. And I think he had a good game. I don't know. But then you're saying that your best uh, other options are Stolars and the third wheel in Detroit, Corot. So I'm not sure why you would drop Halak. I feel like in a league that's that deep, maybe he has some trade value at the very least. If he's your third goalie, I, I think I would hang on at least to see what happens at the trade deadline. Maybe he gets traded. Yeah, I, he's a good candidate to get traded. The Isles don't seem to want him. He doesn't seem to want the Isles. They have, they've, they've been carrying three goalies all year long, which just boggles the mind. There's no real reason that I know of that they should really be doing that. I don't know that JF Berube is that important a piece of their future. I think hang on, hang on with Halak. If he's your third guy, uh, he's a reasonable third guy to to hold on to. Yeah, I know it's frustrating. He didn't play, so it was five straight games that he didn't play, but he played yesterday, got the 4-3 win against Washington, only a 9-12 save percentage, but it's against Washington. So you're happy they didn't blow up your stats and he actually got you a win. So maybe they'll go with him for a bit. I'll be very interested to see what the Islanders do with the trade deadline. Like, they're clearly not a playoff team or they, they would need a huge surge to be one. I don't see it happening. So they might as well do something about their goalie situation. And why not trade Halak at this point? Like, Grice probably is just as good, if not better. And maybe they could get some prospects or something. Like, who knows? Okay. Patty, best hair, Carlson, Latang, Ekblad, or Hedman? Just Carlson, of course, right? No doubt. Okay. Pasternak should be in the conversation, according to Matthew. Okay. Yager. Well, Yager did. Has he been growing it back? There wasn't he's there still, a rumor that Yager was going to grow it back? He's still making it work. Okay. I need to find a recent picture of Yager. But probably that's not Ek, good. You know what? Ekblad is like richer. There's more volume to mm-hmm. Ekblad than, than Carlson. Carlson's sort of like a stringy, greasy. Ekblad's, Ekblad's got real volume. He must be some like fancy oils or something. Yeah, I was actually just saying Carlson because of the podcast. But actually, when I look at pictures of him, I feel like he could groom himself. But I don't, the whole mustache <laughs> thing, I think he looked better when he was just clean shaven and... Anyway, <laughs> Matthew, I'd love to have a peek at your joint league team. Oh, then Brian posted it. So check it out on the Facebook group if you want to see our team. I've been, I was trying to decide today if we should maybe drop Chad Johnson. As you can see, we have four goalies, Mason, Holtby, Talbot, and Johnson. And we're in a very close matchup this week. And I was thinking of dropping Johnson for Hutton, who got the start today for St. Louis. And I was like, I'm messaging Brian. I was saying, maybe, I don't know, we were wavering. And then in the meantime, our opponent picked up Hutton. And now it looks like St. Louis is going to win this game. Or no, it's 2-2. So hopefully Philly will win because we have Mason. And it's six points for a goalie win. So there's going to be a 12-point swing if we blew it and didn't get Hutton. But we're hanging out to Chad Johnson for a little bit longer. But I guess he's our bottom guy. You can see our team is awesome. Full of studs. There's no one else to drop. I dare you to tell me someone else we should drop from this team. Okay. Patty, watch the Rangers game from last night. Nick Holden, is he a thing? I don't think so. He was no. a thing earlier in the season. I remember he had a good stretch when every one of the Rangers was doing well. I don't know, Patty, you say you saw him. What What did he do? Did he get a point? 
Well, he has 18 points in 37 games so far. Oh. High shooting percentage, high on ice shooting percentage. Uh, and like, he's just a guy who's never been a thing. And I don't, I don't see that changing. It seems to be happening in New York this year. Anybody can get a turn at scoring some points. We saw Brady Shea do it before falling way off the pace that he was on. Uh, but Nick Holden has been good enough to be the second highest scoring Rangers D-man. So there's that. Well, actually, you know, okay, so we should be more on the ball here. He scored two goals yesterday against Ottawa. So obviously that's why you bring him up, but it was on two shots. So that's always a concern. And he played 21 minutes. <laughs> well, usually when you score, usually when you score a goal, like it, it, <laughs> like you're not going to have a good shooting percentage in a single night. Most often, like you're looking at the whole season, how he scored on six of his 31 shots. So he's shooting 20% this year. Uh, his career high is 25 points, although he only played 54 games that year. So maybe he could have had 30 in a full season. His best full season point total came last year with 22 points in Colorado. I think think you'd have to be in a pretty deep league to add a guy who's not like a top power play defenseman who doesn't really provide you with blocks or any like really good peripherals, not a lot of shots. Like there's not a good reason to add him. Like he had a good stretch and I guess he's kind of on a decent stretch now. Like he's been getting a point every couple of games, which is really good for a defenseman. So you could try to ride this for now. And he actually had his highest percentage of power play time last game than he's had in a while. I'm looking at his Dauber profile here, 27.6%. So I guess the second unit, He's on the second unit before he was more like six, 8%, which means probably not even on the second unit and just getting thrown out there when someone needs to rest. So maybe if he's getting an increased role, something to watch, maybe you could add him to your watch list and see, but like only in a very deep league, I would say. Okay, last question. If and when the league shrinks goalie pads, this is from Christian, who do you think will be most affected? Oh, that's a tough one. I don't know. This, uh, this, this is a great segue, though, into the scheduled interview for next week, a bonus episode coming out in about... Uh, one week's time with Ian Fleming, where we're going to talk about goalies, uh, goalies to date this year, the surprises and the reasons why we've been surprised and what the hopes can be for the next 40, 50 games of the season. So uh, stay tuned for that. Maybe I'll throw this question at him. I'm not sure if we'll have an answer, but it's worth a, it's a good, it's a good thought, Christian, except they've been talking about doing this forever and like changing the nets and trying to speculate uh, about a change that has been so stubbornly opposed for so long. I'm not sure. Um, like, I'm not sure there'll be much fantasy relevance in the near future, but it is an interesting thought to think that there are some goalies who benefit more from the current equipment than other goalies. So yeah. I'm going to put it down to ask in that interview. I would think it would be the goalies that have really good positioning would be, I don't like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> I guess I'm not like as much of a goalie expert. I'm sure like Nick Mercadante could answer, but tell me if I'm crazy. I would think the types of goalies who flop around all the time, they probably benefit from having big pads and being able to sort of cover up as much net as possible as opposed to the guys who are just in a good position. Though I guess they're covering less of an angle. Ah, who knows? I guess we'll find out. Or Brian will ask in his interview. Very excited for that. Thanks to everyone who stuck with us for the whole two hours. This has been fun. I can't believe we went for two hours. Wasn't the plan, but this has been a lot of fun. Hopefully we haven't gotten too much worse as the time has gone on. I know we came in hot and now probably Brian's ready to go to bed. And I'm actually going to go up for nachos right now if my wife is still up for it because I told her I'd be done at 9.30. So <laughs> thanks again to everyone for joining us. Thanks, obviously, for being a patron of our podcast. We really appreciate it. And yeah, it's like the reason why we keep going. This podcast wouldn't be going still if we didn't have your support. So we appreciate it. We have a big 2017 plan. We plan to go after this one week break. We're going to go all the way to the end with probably some bonus episodes along the way as well. So we're hopefully going to help bring all of you into your fantasy playoffs or at least entertain you along the way. So thanks. And we'll catch you all with our next regular episode 
I guess, a week from Sunday. But Brian's going to give you a bonus episode. And yeah, that's all I got. Good job, Elon, as always. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, for patronizing both uh, in every single way. Have a great rest of your holidays. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Enjoy some good uh, Christmas movies. Arthur Christmas, the Moody Christmas. Yeah. Die Hard. All the good ones. There's some really bad ones, too. Star Wars Rogue One. That's a Christmas movie. Came out at Christmas or around there. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.